Okay, so let's try this again. Welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast, episode 280. So basically what I want to start with is the first question. The first question was from Bernard, who says, I really enjoyed the interview with the Ampl- uh, Amplified Nation owner. That was Taylor Cox. And um, and he says, I agree with your take on where modelers and boutiques amps sit in the market. Do you have other any other... Th- do you have other thoughts on how amps might develop? And this is an interesting thing, thing because if you go to the second channel, there's links down below um, where we added the bonus podcast and other bonus episodes and stuff that I'm doing. Um, you'll see that we did that interview with Amplified Nation, and you're probably seeing them more. Amplified Nation's a, a newer company. They've been really putting a lot of uh, effort into internet uh, marketing, um, as, the, as all smart companies do, because it's effective and it's uh, very cost effective. And uh, he sent me an amp to try out and stuff. I really like it. Of course, these are very um, boutique amps. I mean, these are expensive. They're they're clones of Dumbles and clones being inspired by too. So they're just not only just like they, you know, did he copy a Dumble? It's a Dumble, but sometimes with twists. And those are expensive amps. And that's why I wanted to do that uh, interview with him. And he was very gracious to give us the time to do that. And I don't want to I don't want to give too much because I kind of want you to watch it. But what's great about it is if you've ever, ever been thinking about buying an amp like that, I had him go through all the different variations of the Dumbles and amps and what's different about them and what you may like about them or not like about them, which was I thought was very insightful. In fact, it was the most insightful thing I've ever seen when it comes on the subject. <laughs> so I just had to sit back and, and watch him kind of unleash the information, which was great. Um, and there is a review of the amp coming on Monday, and I'll be talking about that. And I'm talking about why expensive amplifiers like that, I think, are in their own vain a little different to answer your question bernard you know what are my thoughts on that i talked about that again on that episode or on that on that interview uh what i feel about why certain expensive boutique camps should stay expensive in boutique um and there's a reason why and um i don't again i don't want to give too much away from my review but in my review i talked about the fact that sometimes the only way to get innovation um and 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 breakthroughs and a lot of you guys are like well this is old technology what's innovative about it well it's not just technology it's the sound you know the ways to evolve a sound so that you know it it has a uh, it inspires musicians is to not worry about costs you know a lot of times when when products are being made there's a there's a thought about like it needs to be 299 dollars and something there's something great about the fact that sometimes a product is made whether it's a guitar an amp a pedal and again we're just talking about our genres here in the music world that you know it's ridiculously priced because it's like they spared no expense and they made the best thing they possibly can that doesn't mean everybody has to buy it but i will tell you and this is kind of my point in my review video and in that interview is that a lot of times you have to understand there's a there's the hindsight of of companies and other builders seeing what you did with your innovation and then trying to figure out how to like emulate that or you know and, and get inspired by that and then make it more affordable and it's not in the interview I took it out but there's a section where um, I talked about the fact that Mike Saldano made the Saldano and they were super expensive they're super expensive now and when I play a Saldano now it's it's a it's an amazing amplifier don't get me wrong. But I feel like half the high gain amplifiers I own are in that genre. They sound almost like the Saldano. And I don't argue whether Saldano is better or not better. What I argue is, is that it is very obvious to me all those amplifiers were influenced by the Saldanos. So if it wasn't for Mike creating this iconic high gain amplifier, um, I don't think you'd see as many Saldano esque amplifiers that are affordable. You can buy an amplifier that sounds. 
I'd say 70% as good as the Saldano for a quarter of the price. And like I said, I don't think that amplifier, that an inexpensive amplifier would exist if it wasn't for having the hindsight of going through that expensive amplifier. And, uh, and there you go. I think that's, I think that's the way I look at that. So I, I like I said, I think there's a place for everything, but we do need the high end stuff, whether it's guitars, amps, pedals, you need the, you need, you need artists because builders are artists too. You need artists to feel that they can make what they truly want to make and not worry about like, well, well, you know, will everyone buy it? It's not about, will everyone buy it? It's somebody will buy it. They'll make a living at it. And then somebody will want it and figure out a way to make it more affordable. There you go. That's just my two cents. Um, the other thing that came up early, which is in, uh, which is also important, something I wanted to talk about, was uh, from hold on, and maybe not. <laughs> I I tagged all this stuff. Um. Hmm. I would have swore I, I copied it, but maybe I didn't. I apologize. And let's just go to Max's question. Let's see. Max's question was, uh, hey, Phil, will boutique pedals lose their identity and eventually their appeal when big companies take small builders under their wings, like what happened with Analog Man and MXR? Analog Man and MXR, I, I think, was the inevitability of what was going to happen when we saw what J Josh Scott at JHS did with Boss, which, by the way, was I thought was ingenious. Um, the first time I ever met Robert Keeley, I was at an event, and uh, Joyo was there. And um, I introduced those two companies because I knew both of them, and I said, and it never worked out uh, for our you know, obvious reasons, but there was obviously the, you know, now there's COVID and all kinds of supply chain issues. But I said, you know, like maybe Robert Keeley can make something with Joe Yo. And I think that's a great idea. I've always thought this. I always thought um, this is a great idea because to me, it's not about taking like Analog Man or JHS and then putting it in a more mass produced shell uh, and making it not as good. To me, it's about it you know, the brand exposure power that MXR has, the level that MXR and Boss operate is a much different level. You have to understand, like, I, I don't want to, I'm not as, as versed in the pedal world as I am guitars, but I'm pretty versed, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use guitars because it makes more sense uh, for this analogy. You know, people talk about Fender, Gibson, and PRS. When you usually say three big names, especially in, made in the United States, those three brands come up. You have to understand the differences of what we're talking about. Fender and Gibson are toying in the billion dollar range, right? You may be half a billion dollars. It doesn't matter. Let's just keep it safe and say half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars. PRS, maybe $80 million. They might be doing better than that because of the COVID, you know, because COVID, the boom and stuff that happened, maybe they're hitting $90 million. This is not a company that's in the same league as those companies in size and dollar value and gross sales. So what I'm saying is, now think of that. So it goes from, like, let's say Fender, we'll say very north of half a billion dollars. Same with Gibson, north of half a billion dollars, right? Closing up on a billion dollars. Um, and then you have at, uh, Paul Reed Smith guitars at sub $100 million. And then think about how companies drop off after that. Like once you get into Sur territory and stuff, now you're talking like Sur's like probably. If I'm I'm getting guesses, sixteen million dollars. You guys probably can look these numbers up exactly, but I'm I'm just giving, uh, you know, educated guesses. And again, some of my numbers could be off because I haven't looked since COVID, and a lot of these companies can be showing a much bigger profit lines, like twenty five million and stuff for Sur and stuff. 
But my point is exactly that. Like the way it drops off is huge. Same thing with Boss and MXR. It's like Boss, then MXR. And then when you get to Josh Scott, which is a big company, Josh Scott's, you know, got 40 employees and he's doing a great job. Robert Keeley, same thing. These companies are killing it as a dream company size for a lot of people. People would love to have a company that big. You understand they're they're not they're not playing in the same ballpark as some of these bigger companies with exposure power and gross sales. So to get those products then put on the radar and and more importantly to you guys cuz you know we're guitar nerds hanging out on Fridays like I said. Of course you guys know what JHS is. Of course you guys know what Keeley is. Of course you know what analog managed. Of course. But but is somebody who who like I said uh, sold stuff one by one to customers uh you know guitar players they're not all versed like us in gear, right? It's not, it has nothing to do with beginners. Like you're probably thinking like beginners don't know this stuff. No, you could talk to somebody who's been playing for 30 years who can rip it up and plays, you know, four nights a week, but they're not gear junkies. So they're, they're not here trying to read every guitar ad and learn everything. So they don't know certain things exist. And, um, and, uh, so they walk in a store and maybe that store doesn't carry a boutique pedal, but they might have an MXR or a boss pedal with some of those guys' branding on them and expose themselves to another, uh, to another artist. So there's a lot of appeal to that. Now to the core of your question is what is the damage that can do? In other words, that's what you're getting at is like, you know, this is a boutique company. And now that they've kind of put their boutique seal of approval on this mass produced product. What does that do? Um, yeah, it can, it can have that effect. Um, but in my experience, it has a, an effect, mental effect. I, and this is where I want to, and this is a double-edged sword. Cause I don't, I want you guys to be very clear what I'm going to tell you. Yes. Do I think it, it, I don't want to say damages their brand, but does it devalue the brand and the persona of it? Yes. A little bit. Do they make a crap lot more money? Absolutely. <laughs> like it's, it's a trade-off for instance i think uh I, i've used this in the pickup world a lot seymour duncan pickups is a big company and they are to me uh and i can think of no company more than seymour duncan when i think of a, a pickup company that is in almost every kind of guitar you can't if you go to sweetwater and just because sweetwater is an easy thing to reference to if you go to sweetwater and look at guitars on their website you know how many brands have seymour duncan's in them it's so many brands um Seymour Duncan puts their pickups in like everything. And, and, you know, to you, you're like, a lot of us go, well, so does DiMarzio. But if you look at DiMarzio, they do not have as many guitars and they do not have very many low price guitars with DiMarzios in them. Um, it's, and it's because of size difference, the size of DiMarzio and the size of Seymour Duncan, different size companies. But more importantly, Seymour Duncan saw that opportunity like to, to basically pair his brand with everybody he could. It's like he almost says nothing. Sorry. It's almost like he says no to, you know, doesn't say no to any deal, right? Can we put Super Duggins in this? Yes. Can we put Super Duggins in that? Absolutely. <laughs> like anything. Um, where DiMarzio, and again, just because I, I have, I'm aware of these two companies and I have insight on both these companies, DiMarzio is a little bit more, uh, I, I won't, I don't want to say picky, um, but uh, he's definitely thinks about what it means to have that pickup in a, in a, in a, in a brand of guitar and what it means, means to have like a, a inexpensive version. I, I even pointed this out many times in the past. Um, you know, a lot of us remember the Ibanez's, uh, that had the IBZ Ibanez DiMarzio pickups in them. And a lot of us probably assumed like, Oh, it must've been an import pickup or something else. Though there is no such thing as a DiMarzio import, import pickup. Every DiMarzio pickup, if it has a DiMarzio brand on it as a pickup has been made in New York in, in the United States and in that shop. And, uh, he has never done an import line. And that, again, that financially hurts 
because there was opportunities lost. Like Seymour Duncan had Duncan Designs, had other subline brands uh, to to get his name out there. And a lot of people get exposed to that. Some people buy a $299 guitar that would never have bought the $300 set of pickups. They like the guitar and their brain says, well, these sound pretty good. So the real ones must sound better. And I think that's the marketing on this. You know, I think if you get the Analog Man MXR and you plug it in, you go, it sounds good. You think, well, the real one's got to sound better. If you think it sounds okay, well, the real one sounds going to be better. If you don't think it sounds good at all, they're like, well, the real one probably sounds better. You don't really think of it as, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't have a really of a negative effect. Um, in my opinion. So like I said, I think it could tarnish the brands a little bit by doing this, but experience has shown that there's always a financial gain that outweighs that. And I'm not saying it's always about money, but I'm just in, you know, when you're talking business, it's very rare, very few cases where I've seen it hurt. Um, what I think is genius about this, by the way, what's ingenious, I should say about this is, uh, this is to me is a much better idea. Way, way better idea. Way. (laughs) Should I put some more ways in there? Way, way, way better idea than doing import lines of your own product line. I absolutely think this is the way it should be. I've been saying this for, for years when I, when I work with companies, you know, and I, I constantly bring this up. I love this idea that instead of making like, uh, MXR and MXR import, you know, right? Like designed by MXR, you know, and, and make that import line of affordable pedals that are just rebranded Joyos or something. Let Joyo, like I said, like I told Robert Key, let Joyo make a pedal that's inspired by your product. And you put some kind of stamp of approval of like, Hey, I approve the way this is. And is it as good as mine? No, but it's not about that. It's about making my stuff more affordable to you. I love that idea way more. I think a lot of companies, if they could have gone back in time, I think if they could have done that, it would have been really, really, really helped. So for instance, uh, a perfect, example of that is Bogner. I like the way Bogner paired up with line six and said, this is Bogner design line six, or this is a merger of Bogner and line six, instead of just saying, you know, it's import Bogner, right? And I know one of the line six amps, the Bogner Alchemist kind of looks like it just an import Bogner, but it was very, it was communicated very strongly that, which is what it was, which was, this is still a a line six type product. So I like that when two brands come together and you know what you're getting, you're getting the, you're getting a line six that has Bogner qualities. I like the idea of going, I'm getting an MXR that has analog man qualities. I love this idea. I, I mean, I've always liked this idea. I wish more companies, like I said, would engage in it. I think it's a smart idea because it doesn't just mean you have the cheaper version of something. It means you have an inspired by version of it. That's just my thought. Um, and I think it will continue. So, you know, I think it, I think it will definitely continue, um, uh, as, as a, as an idea. So, and I think the ramifications are very little, like I said, I think there is some, but I think they're small comparative comparatively. Um, the next comment question I got was, uh, <laughs> Okay. Um, I, I have no idea where I did with it, so I've lost it. But it was a question about the uh, video I did this week with the, and I'm just scanning again just to make sure I didn't lose it. Um, 
The question was about the um, Stu Mac promotion video that I did. So if you guys didn't see it, I did a video where I, I outlined what tools I use from Stu Mac and some other tools as well. And of course, there's a Stu Mac deal. And I put the links down below if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, uh, because obviously I have different audiences for different types of content I make. What it is, is that uh, I was able to to secure a deal with Stuart McDonald for two weeks. So for we'll be talking about it for two more shows um, till September 28th. If you use the link that I have down below, you can click and buy any, well, not anything, but pretty much anything. I'd say, I, I'm pretty sure it's anything, but I just want to be safety, you know, safe. Pretty much anything for 10% off. Or if you click and buy the Stu Max program, which is a one-year program that's $50, it gives you free freight, free return, no questions asked, return freight, lifetime guarantee on the tools, which by the way, the lifetime guarantee comes no matter what. I'm just telling you, like, you know, I'm just telling you no features. You get 15% off strings, you get 50% uh, off uh, educational materials. That is 50% off. So that's what's great about that. Um, this was the first time they ever did anything like this. This was because they had did some videos with me in the past where we did some giveaways of tools. They obviously, the market as not the boom anymore. So they, they came back and said, Hey, let's do some interactions. Let's do some stuff. And, um, they were like, same thing as before. Let's, you want to give us away some stuff. And, um, I, I told him I, I wasn't interested in anything. I really just wanted free freight. <laughs> really what I wanted. So, you know, was free freight for my audience, or I try to negotiate free freight for just the patrons. Either way, I wanted some kind of deal where I was like, you know, if you, you're a friend of the channel, you get free freight. And there just wasn't a way for them to kind of to kind of do it that way. It's it's has to do with the landing pages and how they create this stuff. And so they um, they basically came up with this deal. But so you know, um, they are starting tomorrow. So it's Saturday, Sunday, and Monday and Tuesday. So 17th, 18th, 17th, like 20th. They are going to be running a 10% off sale on their website um, that is, so you don't have to, you know, you, so either way you can get the 10% off, but that has nothing to do with me. They're just doing it. I think they're doing it because I think you guys knocked it out of the park yesterday. That video, I mean, I saw the the link activity. It was, it was huge. The conversion rate was much higher than normal. What I seen um, really showing them. Uh, I think we really showed them what I've been saying to them for years. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I would, ha I would hate to think I was the only one saying, hey, your shipping policies. I don't want to say suck. I feel like that's harsh, but that's what I would say. <laughs> I would be like, yeah, they suck. I, I, I even told them in our Zoom meeting when I was with them, including the VP of the company, the number one complaint I get from viewers is the shipping charges. And, and, and uh, that's, you know, I said, if you could fix that, it'd be everything. And uh, that's how what we came up with. So just to let you know, if you click the links down below, there's opportunities to save money with StuMac. It's not a very common thing that they do. We were able to do it. And um, and uh, and more importantly, if you click the link, you also get to see my highlighted tools. They they actually asked me for a list of my favorite tools, which I did in that video. So you can watch the video, or if you don't want to watch the video, you just click the link. It's the whole list, and uh, it tells you what it is, and and uh, it, and it just helps. And what's nice about that is, like I said, their tools are very expensive. So that's the one thing, you know, I know it can help if you get a discount. I, I told you guys all the time, when I order from Sumac, I tend to do these really outrageous, like five, six, $700 orders, because again, it's like I'm trying to like make it make sense, you know, financially. Or sometimes they give you that mail, they'll send you an email saying you get 10% off and I do, oh, I jump on that hard. So, um, cause this stuff, you know, that stuff's expensive. 
So, and I also feel like, just on a side note, I also kind of feel like I completed the circle of tools finally. I've been wanting to do a video of all of them. So now I've done a Music Nomad, I've done Harbor Freight, I've done, you know, the Dollar Store, I've done Amazon Tools, and I've done Stumac Tools. And, and I would love to do maybe like a Crimson Guitars Tools or some more uh, European to tool manufacturers, other tools. Like I said, that's just the idea. I would like to, you know, go off and, and, uh, and do all that stuff. So, like I said... There's links down below if you guys are interested. Okay. There you go. By the way, and thank you to everybody who took advantage of the promotion because it's not just that it, um, um, it's not just, not just that it saves you money and it was nice to kind of like give the show a highlight. It's also really, like I said, I think it shows them that you know, what, what you guys are interested in. And I really would love to see a day where Stu Mac just says, we don't charge shipping. That would be great. Um, Susan says, Hey, how about a video? Since we're on the subject, we're gonna hit it. Uh, how about a video on tools you cobble together to make it work? Um, yeah. So, you know, what's great about this is there's, there's a, there's a really cool thing that happened, um, with this deal. Um, the, Stumac thing and, and, and just in, in full transparency, um, Stumac, the, again, the vice president, Brock, the vice president of Stumac reached out to me. I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> okay. It could have been a year ago. could have been two years ago. could have been six months ago. I'm, I think it was a long time ago. And you got to understand like, you know, just like you guys and I have the show, there's certain companies that just know you know, I know certain things. And so he reached out to me about affiliate programs and saying that Stumac wanted to do an affiliate program. And we've talked about affiliate programs on this channel many times about how they work. You know, you, you've seen it, you know, YouTubers like click the link and we get a little something and you, you know, right. And, um, I love affiliate links for I, what I think there's integrity in affiliate links. Like the idea is like, if I talk about a product I like, and that product will, will pay me a dividend. Here's why I think there's integrity in that. The, the, the way some people will look at it is, you know, if you get any benefit for talking about a product, well, then, you know, then it's corrupted. This is true. But as someone who does this, I've told you guys many times, um, it's really hard because I, I want to use a, a perfect example of this is like my strat right here. Let's say I said, hey, I'm going to do a video about a strat. And I live in a world where to make $10, I got to make somebody a hundred to make a hundred dollars. I got to make somebody a thousand. Like every company will benefit. You know, when you do a video about how great a strat is that you love that you bought with your own money, remember you're making them lots of money. And, and it's not like you're, you're saying I'm entitled to some of that money, but you have to be aware of it. You are doing that. And this is where it's interesting. Let's say I love this strat and I want to talk about the strat and Fender, let's say in this scenario, Fender calls me and says, Hey, we'd like you to do a video about our product. And I go, great. I can't wait to talk about strat. And they go, well, what we want you to talk about is our Blah, 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 that we can't sell. That's what really the hard part is, is that companies, when they reach out and talk to social media people, they're really wanting to push either their new product, the product they can't sell, an odd product. I mean, there's just, it's always like this hard line of, you know, it would be such an easy to make a video about the thing I like. So you have to make the choice. Do you make a video about this thing that you're, you know, that they want you to do or the product you want to do. Why I like affiliates is, is that affiliate means that if I like a brand <laughs> like, like Stumac or Sweetwater or, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, Seymour Duncan, right. I'm trying to think of all the affiliates. There's lots of affiliates, right. Uh, reverb, you know, I buy stuff on reverb all the time. Um, then what I can do is just really talk about any product I want and, 
I can just put a link if I have a link for that. So that's what's really nice about that option. And so the reason is nice is, like I said, they, they reached out to me. They told me that they wanted to do an affiliate program. And I just so happen to know how, how to make affiliate programs work really well. And so I gave them a bunch of advice, and it worked out. They ended up going with it. And why that's important to you guys is there's t- something I've been trying to do for years here, which is try to continue to make the repair content, you know, the tech tip videos, the Sharp Max videos. And as I've told you guys, there's just not a lot of companies interested in sponsoring that. And so I've been finding a way not to get sponsors. So what I have now is enough affiliate links that if I make videos about these products, you know, I can put some links down. And if you guys buy something, I get a few bucks and it works out great for, for what I'm up to. So, so for instance, uh, that's, what's great about this program with Stu Mac is that, and that's what I'm getting with Susan's question is, um, I have enough affiliate links. And by the way, I have an affiliate link with, uh, with uh, Sweetwater for Music Nomad as well. So I can freely talk about Music Nomad. I can freely talk about Stumac, whatever products I like from them, and put links down below. And if it kicks five bucks to the channel, it's, it's, it's a nice dividend for me. So it's a nice win-win is what I like to like to think of it. So, and, uh, and like I said, I'll freely talk about any of that stuff, how it all how it works. I don't know why you guys want to know about it, but <laughs> I will tell you that I feel like 90%, including big channels, that has nothing to do with guitar channels like big YouTube. I feel like 90% of channels explain affiliate links really weirdly. <laughs> I don't know if they're just doing it wrong because they don't know or if they're being cryptic in how they're explaining it so that they don't really allude to what they really how they really work. But there's a reason why affiliate links work the way they work. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. Um, okay. Then, uh, oh, and that's another other thing too. So there's a ton of videos that we I have coming out with tools. Not just do Mac tools, just tools in general. So a lot of repair videos too. So if you guys know, somebody was asking me about repair videos. So you guys know, I typically don't do a lot of repair videos during the summer. If you if you look at the history of the channel, um, I did for a few years and it's, it's just too hard. I tried to do a video... Uh, this week in the shop and I made a mistake. I didn't turn, I, you know, have the AC on, but I have to turn it down because, you know, it's, it's still warm in there. And, um, long story short, I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't keep the, I didn't get the room cold enough. So I turned off the AC and started filming a video. I, I, you, I wish, I wish this is, wasn't true because it sounds so crazy, but it's true. Um, I have a computer downstairs in the shop and I have a camera in there and I have a new camera that tracks me and follows me. And I was exciting to share that with you. And um, this is no exaggeration because I know because I have the video. It's five minutes and 33 seconds into the video. The camera turned off and then the, the computer shut off uh, just after that because they overheated because the room was hot because I turn off the I have to turn off AC when I'm I'm filming because it's even though it's quiet, it still hums in the in the room. I have to do it in my house too, by the way. Uh, I have to have the AC off in the house uh, to make a video. So I don't know why I had to share that with you. I just started to share. Um, okay, hold on. Yes. <laughs> Pedal says Arizona problems. Yeah, it was crazy. I didn't even think it was that hot of a week this week. Okay. Um, next subject or question that we're going to talk about is this one's a fun one. I, I want to share this one with you guys. I know you have great questions and stuff going on, but this one's a funny story that happened to me. So um, long story short, let me find it. Hold on. Ah, see? Uh, so Kevin, a couple weeks ago, 
a couple episodes ago, I decided to give a set of uh, Blackstock pickups away, and a viewer won them. His name is Kevin, and um, and uh, I told him we didn't have packaging, so we sent him, you know, the pickups. Um, my wife found an actual old box packaging, so he got the like I want to say vintage packaging, just the first edition packaging uh, that some of you guys have. Anyways, I sent Kevin this, this set of pickups, and uh, he was very kind, and he sent me an email saying, showed me installed in his uh, PRS. He says he loves them, uh, and I thank you, Kevin, for that. And then he sent me a gift, and <laughs> getting a gift is always a nice thing, but the, the way that this happened yesterday, because it happened yesterday, is so crazy. <laughs> so I had to share it with you guys. So I get this package, and uh, I'm going to show you the... I don't want to expose his address, but you get it package like that right um and uh so it was a nice package and i get a little uh little note from it says thanks again for all that you do for uh, us uh and and of course he signed it now here's what was in the package what was in the package was this little box right here and there were tubes two uh 12 or not 12 by sevens two preamp tubes right so anyways very nice tubes uh, I didn't look them up, so they kind of looked expensive. So I think they are expensive, really high-end quality tubes. So I go, oh, two preamp tubes. That's really cool. Matched pair of preamp tubes. Platinum grade. Um, new old stock. And, uh, and uh, right, get the card home. Uh, it's Riverstone Audio Company fine-tuned for music lovers, right? Professionally matched vacuum tubes. So these are, I got two preamp tubes. Now, here's why the story's funny. So I get the tubes and I go, oh, cool. And I put them on my desk and I was rendering up some videos. And while I was rendering, I was playing. And I was playing my Freeman twin sister. And all of a sudden, channel two just went out. <laughs> I mean, not while I was playing, I went to switch to it and it just was out. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And I'm like, okay. And, uh, I cranked the amp on 10, you know, I was messing with the controls, messing with the cables. Long story short, couldn't get anything out of it. Just a very, just a very little quiet noise out of it. And, uh, <laughs> anyways, here's when it gets funny. So I go, well, I, I go, uh, let's, let's see what's going on. It's probably got, you know, tubes went out. So I, I look up, you know, schematic and I see where the tubes are that are out and it needs a pre a new pre one of the preamp tubes is dead. I can tell. So I, I, you know, I turn the amp off. I pull the tube. There's three preamp tubes on that side, and uh, but one of them was bad. So I pulled it out, and I decided to put the two preamp tubes that he sent me in the amp to see how it was, and the amp was so loud. <laughs> so apparently, apparently, because I got this amp during COVID, and I know everybody was having two problems, apparently this amp came with probably some bad preamp tubes. And even though the amp sounded great, it was quiet, right? Like quiet meaning I probably had on volume two and it was not very loud. And now, now volume two was just ripping my head off. And uh, and it sounds amazing, by the way. It sounds great, obviously, because uh, the other tubes were not that great. And this is really cool. Um, but anyways, I'm just saying it was a great gift and weirdly timed. Like, you know, I thought that was fun. <laughs> it was like, I was very excited. And and uh, I, so I, I wanted to say thank you uh, to Kevin so much for doing that. But also um, <laughs> because, like I said, man, that was a perfect timing of that. I was like, that was awesome. So, yeah, Kevin to the rescue. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. So uh, thank you so, so, so very much. Uh, then the next subject or thing I have, uh, which we'll talk about, oh, you know what? I'll hold off on that one and we'll go to your guys's questions. So more subjects from you guys. Um, 
Okay, this one's from Hector. It says, what guitar types or styles are essential in a collection? What would you choose to keep if I had to, if you had to consolidate? So these are two questions. I'll handle them differently. Uh, you know, perfect example, a perfect question, right? What what types of guitars are essential in a collection? There's there's varying opinions, of course. And we're gonna like, oh, you need a Les Paul, a Strat, you know, a Tele, a this, you know, right? All these acoustic, of course, you know, right? Hollow body. Um, in in my mind, I'm, I'm gonna answer it for obviously for me. I don't need. Uh, a, I don't need different types of guitars. Um, you know, and again, I, I want to exclude my YouTube life out of this, you know, obviously for reviews, there's just certain guitars I need. I need a, I need a Les Paul. I need a Strat. I really do. It's really, it's really important to the videos that I use certain guitars for certain things, right? You want the, you want, if, if you know everybody uses a Strat for this product, you want to probably use a Strat in that video. But that being said, for me personally, uh, I could easily just have a Strat with three single coils and a Strat with two humbuckers, and I could call it a day, and I'd be fine with that. And uh, uh, just as long as the neck's comfortable. For me, a guitar is really about the neck more than anything else, because if the neck isn't comfortable, uh, it, it really has an effect on me. Uh, if the neck is, uh, you know, not even too thick, just different shapes, I tend to get a, a pain in my wrist from from it. Um, if it's too small, I feel like my hand is just kind of like on top of itself because my fingers are kind of long. I'm a bigger guy. So look at it. My hand looks all huge. <laughs> I should just do that. Like, look, look how big my hand is compared to my face. Look at my <laughs> See, look at that. Anyways, um, my point is, is that, you know, a neck being comfortable to me is a huge thing. And uh, it really affects the way I can play what I play. And uh, to the point where I've even told you guys when I'm demoing certain products, I use certain guitars not for how they sound, even though I just said it's important to use from sound and I'll use different guitars in the video for the sounds. But a lot of times uh, I, I need to be able to play something, right? And, uh, you know, something, not intricate, I don't play intricate stuff, but I mean, I need it to play, sound right for the demo. So I, I tend to grab guitars that I can play very well that I have effortless playing. So I find that uh, for me, what's important to have in the collection, I, to me, a humbucker and a, and a single coil, that's about it. And then and then if I was going to say, okay, well, now that's the two basic, what else? Then a P90, <laughs> okay? And that's about it. So it's not, if you notice, I'm not saying guitars, it's types of pickups. This to me is more dramatic than the sound of the guitars. So if I could have a Strat with single coils and a Strat with humbuckers, that'd be I need that. That's what I would feel like I would need. Um, and then after that, everything, you know, everything else becomes a luxury. A lot of the stuff has to be luxury. Um, even studio musicians will tell you this. Um, you know, uh, you know, you talk to, um, uh, to, to, uh, Tim Pierce, you know, he'll use lots of different guitars for stuff, but he'll tell you that essentially he could play just one or two guitars and get all the sounds he needs out of them. If he has those two, basically two ranges, something, something quacky and single coily, like a, you know, a Strat or Tele, and then something like a, a humbucker for a different kind of guitar. Now, the second part of his question is, are there, uh, is there, what would I choose to keep if I had to consolidate? Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I've said this before. I, it depends on the number you're giving me. You know, if I can only keep one guitar, what would I keep? I'd probably keep some kind of Strat. Uh, one of the Strat style guitars. Again, that would be excluding the fact that some of these are gifts from friends, and that would be truly hard on me to give up because they, you know, they they mean something to me. But I'm, we're talking about, you know, for function, I just need some kind of Strat style guitar because that's what I like for comfort, and then uh, some kind of pickup choice like humbucker single single. That's really good because I can get 
everything I need out of that. If I had to consolidate to one guitar, I could do that. To consolidate to two guitars, again, same thing. I would just pick one of the humbucker style guitars, one of the single coil guitars. Um, or to be honest, like I said, many times, I would like to just pick one of the guitars, like, you know, whichever guitar speaks to me the most, one of the strats uh, or strat-esque style guitars. I could probably even take the the uh, Keeley uh, Delos because like I said, it plays really good. And the Somnium guitar, <laughs> that's my get out of jail free car. I would take, I would take, our guitar, I would take one of the, the Somnium because I, I have every kind of pickup I can put in it. If I had that guitar, I could pretty much get away with anything. So, so that's, you know, is, I feel like that's a cheat thing to say because it's like, oh, I take the guitar that basically could put every, every pickup in it. But so it, to me, it's like one guitar that feels really great with every kind of sound. That's where that guitar kind of lives. So, I'm sorry, just reading some of you guys' stuff. <laughs> Ron says, don't tell my wife, he, his wife, uh, he, he only needs two guitars. We don't need any guitars. That's the, that's the argument I love. I love that argument, by the way. I've used it for many years. It's like, how many guitars do you need? You don't need any. They're not, uh, they're, they're obviously, it means something to you. I, 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 my life without music, my life without guitar would be really hard. I don't know if I'd want to live it, but I mean, I could, <laughs> you know, essentially like when you think about needs, oh man, guitars don't even rate in the top 10, like, you know, things you need in your life to survive, to do, uh, these are definitely wants. These are joys. These are, these are, you know, I mean, and even me, even, even, even acknowledging that some people live playing guitar for a living, then maybe you need it because you make a living. But essentially, then it's even still a hard argument because, you know, you could do something else. So my point is, um, I like, I reason I phrase that that way. And so, you know, is because see a lot of you guys, I definitely need it. Okay. Like I said, I know what you're saying. I, it's part of your soul and you need it, but you understand what I'm saying too, which is the argument of a need on this is not is not an argument I want to have because I always tell people it's a want. And because it's a want, it acknowledges that it's something that you want to do and you should do it because it doesn't hurt anyone. Uh, and I love that because and the reason I've kind of done that over the years is I think a lot of times the, 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 the crux of that question, the core of it, at the core of it, it's like it's like a gluttony thing, right? Like, how many is too many? And, you know, it's some kind of like internal justification. And here's what I will tell you. If I was a multimillionaire, I would have every guitar I ever wanted for no reason because I wouldn't have a Ferrari. <laughs> there's no situation where I, I buy, there's no world where I'm worth a hundred million dollars and I buy one of every sports car in a garage or, you know, like what Jay Luna has. I don't collect cars. I wouldn't have a roll of uh, Rolex watches or whatever watches. I, I don't care how much money I had. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that stuff. That's not something that interests me now. It wouldn't interest me with more money because it's not money that's stopping me from getting that stuff now. It's just, I'm not interested in that stuff. So it, it, to me, I wouldn't buy fine art. I mean, unless it was like, I guess an investment, but if I had lots of money, I wouldn't care about. So to me, I would, this is what I love. And the more money I have, the more of it I'll probably have. <laughs> I've told you guys very clearly, very, very clearly over and over again, and this is just me from my perspective, my amount of guitars that I currently own is absolutely connected to the size of my current house. I am not, uh, a t I'm not going to buy a bigger house 
and therefore I'm not going to have more guitars than I have now. And that's it. <laughs> right. Um, if I was I guess, all of a sudden worth an insane amount of money for some stupid reason, maybe I won the lottery or something or whatever happens and I buy a giant house. Well then, yeah, then I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to have 10 times as many guitars. <laughs> I'm just going to have a room where you walk in and like, it's like a giant museum of guitars. But there you go. Um, so, so like I said, I think there's a lot of connection to that. Um, how many guitars is too many? How many guitars is not enough? How many guitars do you, do, do you deserve? Uh, these are all, all the ways I've heard these questions formed over the years. And I've really come to the conclusion of you should buy what you want. You deserve it. Work hard. You know, do, you know, like I said, be a, do good things. <laughs> In other words, you know, do right by people, work hard and enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's about all I can give you on that as an answer. Uh, Alan says, Phil is an enabler. I am an enabler. <laughs> absolutely. 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 Without a, without a question, like I said, I have no, I have no, um, I have no guilt. <laughs> None, not at all. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, like I said, I think at some point you should, if you're doing well, you should donate. I've said this before, uh, that I, one of my pet peeves with people and talking about donations is they try to, they always, people try to equate donating to how much money someone makes. And I've always said this, like, look, if you, if you make, if you don't donate now, like if you don't donate $1 this year to something, I guarantee you when you're rich, you're not going to donate anything either. So I love it when people go, oh, you should give that guitar to charity. Okay, well, I do give guitars to charity. And if I made more money, I'd give more to charity. And I'm telling you that if you don't donate anything and you make more money, you won't donate anything either. That's my experience. People with no money donate their time to charity. People with some money donate a little bit of money, maybe some of their time. I'm the same way. You know, I'll donate what I can when I can. Uh, it usually inspires me. Um, Today, I had a very interesting email today. A company who won't leave me alone keeps wanting me to review their inexpensive guitar. <laughs> and uh, as we get, you know, I told you guys to get, and um, I I keep hitting them just like, I, so you guys know, I'm very clear about this. I've done them in the past. Um, when I'm not interested in a, in a guitar uh, that I don't, I'm like, I'm not interested in reviewing this guitar. I don't, you've never heard of this guitar. None of you guys have heard of this brand. I can tell I guarantee you that now. Um, when I looked on YouTube, there was probably three videos and maybe collectively those videos had a thousand views between all the views. So none of you heard this brand either. And, and um, I basically told them that I want them to donate $1,500 guitars for vets. Um, now the pushback sometimes is, believe it or not, some companies don't like the choice of donation you pick. So I can, I can, uh, you know, I pick children's hospital, you know, St. Joseph's, uh, whatever, whatever doesn't conflict with whatever their principles are. I know what you guys are thinking. Like, why would that, uh, matter? It does. Unfortunately, it's just part of it. But my point is, is that I will gladly do something like that because, you know, why not? <laughs> and to be honest with you, it's like, because I guess uh, I was telling my wife in the car actually at lunch today, I said, if I'm going to do a video on a guitar that no one's ever heard of that I'm not interested in, but at least, you know, just put it out there for you guys, then if I'm going to do that, if, in other words, if I'm going to work for free, then I'm going to work for a charity. And so I'll do the guitar video, but under the crux of the charity. And to be honest with you, before you think about anything else about the guitar, I want you to understand I've done it before with companies too in the videos. You've seen it where regardless of what happens with the guitar, I'm talking about the charity too in the video. So to me, giving some money to a charity and doing it that way and talking about it in the video, um, I know because I've seen it. 
Uh, more of you will donate to the charity than buy that guitar, but some of you will buy the guitar, so they'll get value out of it, obviously, and the charity gets value out of it, and I get value out of it, and it works, but that's my whole point. You ha I think of that way, I think that way because I'm like, you know, hey, how can we, you know, that's how I'm gonna help a charity now. If I had tons of money, I would probably just donate the money and not even have to come up with a cockamamie scheme, a scheme about how a company's gonna have to pay to the charity, and I can just do the work because I'm sweat equitying, sort of speak, charity. That's my two cents on it. Um, and by the way, since I'm bringing up charities, if you guys want good charities, um, I like Guitars for Vets because it supports veterans with PTSD. And that's why I like it. So they, uh, um, what else? We have other questions. Let's go to those. Okay. Jim, I think it's Jim. It just says JM and then C. JM space C. JM says, hey, Phil, you're responsible uh -oh, for my career change. I hope that's in a positive way. I hope you're not doing anything bad. <laughs> says, okay, I'd I, I love to meet you one day. Anyway, I was curious if, you, if it were possible to have a variable coil splitting i.e. 30%. So in other words, like a coil split, but variable, 30%, uh, 70%. Yes, it absolutely is. You can hook up a coil split essentially to a potentiometer. Um, uh, Fret King Guitars does this. Uh, PV, I think, had a guitar like this as well. There's a couple brands that have done this in the past. I have done it for customers, um, and I literally just went on the internet and, and just found a schematic of, of some version of that and did it and executed on it. Sometimes when you're doing stuff like that, you just kind of go out there and find it. And, uh, you know, you just do, do it. And then I don't commit to memory how I did it because I have it somewhere. Uh, and, uh, and, um, so yes, you can do it now. I have never tested it. In fact, when I, I love this, uh, love this show. So many videos come out of this show. Uh, so many like ideas come out of this show. And this is an idea. As soon as you said that, you know, I've wired it up, but I've never tested it. I've tried it. I've played it. I've heard it, but I've never put like a multimeter to see how much, what it's really doing. Like, is it really working the way it is? Um, you know, is it different if you use a linear potentiometer, right? Is it different if you use, you know, you know, uh, so I'm tapered, right? So I'm really curious now I might have to do a video on that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a fun video. Like I see, this is what's, what I was talking about earlier. See like a video like that. See, no, no thought into like, you will somebody watch it. Will some, you know, will it pay for the time into it? I, Cause I'm going to have fun. I will do that video. That is a video I'm for sure going to do. Um, not only just show you how to wire it up, but also we'll test it. It's a really cool idea. I've liked it in the past and it's, to me, it's noticeable when you roll it back and forth that it's happening, but I've never tested to see how much of it's really happening. In other words, what I mean by that is, you know, like a dimmer switch on your light, uh, on a light, right? And you turn it and it fades down and fades back up. I've never tested it to see if, like you said, is it really like at 100%, so it's humbucker, and then it's 70% humbucker, right? And 30% single coil or whatever, and then go down 30%. Is it actually ta tapering off like that? Or is it just like literally, it's just, it, it feels like it's just, in other words, it feels like it's blending and at some point it's really just turning off. <laughs> so I'm really curious to see um, how much of it is working. So that's something we can actually do. That's something that would be an easy test to see how much of it is perceivable by your ear versus really what's happening with the electronics. And is it really necessary, um, to, to do so? 
Yeah, I'll do it. That's a great, uh, great question and a great idea. And yes, the answer to your question is it has been done. It's been done by a ton of gu uh, guitar companies over the years. Um, and I've, I've mentioned this before, you know, um, uh, one thing I miss, you know, people always ask like when I was doing repairs out of the shop, what, what do I miss? And I usually don't have a whole lot of answers, but over time, certain things like kind of like you hit you. One of the things I miss is when when I didn't have like a specific customer client list of, you know, the same kind of people bringing me the same stuff, um, after the shop at the shop, everything was like, every day was like a, what's going to happen today kind of feeling. And I used to love all the wacky and I, and I use whacking with an enduring, endearing term, wacky seventies guitars. I really feel like the seventies and part of the eighties, but really the seventies, man, guitar manufacturers went really crazy with crazy ideas. <laughs> like, you know, all of these weird controls and electronics and some things to the point where every time I saw one had to take pictures and write up schematics on it and, you know, and just check them out. And you just saw all these crazy, innovative and crazy ideas. I said crazy a couple of times because they're crazy. And, uh, and then you don't see them anymore. Like everything just becomes the same coil split. <laughs> You know, you don't see coil taps as much. You don't see all the things. So I kind of miss that. Um, and I miss seeing them as often. Um, and uh, they're fun. So maybe that's something else we need to dive into on as well. Um, let's see. Um, we also... We also have... Uh, hold on. I thought there was one other kind of thing I kind of pinned real quick. Um, hmm. I don't see it. So let me go back because there was another question that I really liked and it was from, I can't, I can't find the name and I know I grabbed it. So I apologize for not grabbing your name, but the question was essentially they want to start doing repairs as a side hustle. Okay. And so side hustle is something I understand completely. Uh, essentially, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's basically how I work. I have a bunch of small little businesses that I have collectively that work for me. So, um, the question was, should they, should they be a sole proprietorship or should they be an LLC? And I'm not going to give tax advice cause I'm, I'm not a, tax accountant. I'm not an accountant, period. So it's not something I want to give advice on. But I want to give advice on companies because that's something I, I, I have done and I do have currently a couple different companies and they have different partnership agreements. So first, I want to start with one disclaimer real fast. I've never had a company where I was the only owner. Every company, including the one I have now, I have a company that literally being finished up right now. It's a new LLC with another group of, uh, of, of partners. Um, cause I have a couple of companies. Um, this one is being set up as we speak and same thing. It's a group of partners. So of course it's going to be a, a partnership LLCs, but, uh, our partnership LLC, that being said, that's something you have to figure out. You want to talk to your accountant or, you know, get tax advice from them for sure. That isn't what I can help you with, but this is something I can help you with, with starting a business. Cause I have started many businesses and, um, and there is something that I have learned over time that you really should focus on. And, and here's what it is. Um, one of the things that happens with a business that when you start one, especially in this industry where the margins aren't very strong, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not like, uh, a lot of other industries, you know, if you're going to start a company, air conditioning repair and, and, you know, plumbers and stuff, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of money to be made. This is an industry of much smaller margins. So again, your 
costs are not as high, but they're high. So here's what I've learned. A lot of people fear the unknown of costs. In other words, like you're, you don't know what everything's going to cost. So you try to take as many shortcuts as you can. And those shortcuts will be the death of you. In other words, do everything right. Uh, okay. And this is what I mean by that. Because I mean, you don't know what's right. But what I mean by that is do everything the right way. And what I, what I can help you with that is first part of starting a business, especially if you're going to start a repair business or any kind of business in this industry, start with a, you need to do your finances and figure out how much money can you have part with, how much money can you have? Um, and how much money do you have? You need to come up with a number and uh, whether that's $200 or $2,000 or $20,000, it doesn't matter, but you need a number. And here's why. Um, it's important that if you, even if you're going to do a side hustle, in other words, you're going to do repair on the side, trust me, you need some kind of POS system. You need some accounting system. You need something to track everything you're doing. Um, this is going to bite you in the ass later if you don't do it the right way. You need to make sure you have all the right tax information. You need to make sure you're collecting the right tax. You need to make sure you're collecting or you're, um, you have something prepared to do, you know, accountant, or you have somebody to prepare to do your taxes. This is all stuff you're going to need to do. And this is why you need a budget up front, because you're going to have to figure out, instead of worrying about like, oh, you know, what's it going to cost? Don't worry about what it costs. Worry about what you have financially. Like I said, $200, $2,000, $20,000. And then what you do is, as you, as you execute on this idea, you will decide because of how much money you have, what will be sweat equity. And in other words, what are you going to do yourself? <laughs> okay. So for instance, you may not have the money to hire an accountant to set up a POS system for you. You're going to have to get an iPad and just do a, a, a POS system yourself. You know, you may not have somebody, uh, you may not be able to have to pay for certain things. And so like I said, those things you will sweat equity. Like for instance, you will need, probably need at some point, you will need to trademark your name. This is very important and you either have to hire somebody to do it or you have to do it yourself. Uh, and it's um, and that, again, will be decided by how much money you have. So set aside some money. Sit and commit to this idea. And this is the part that I'm saying about execute correctly because you will set yourself for failure or success at the beginning, whether you realize it happened or not. Um, and don't worry about... Don't worry about how much money you have. This is the other thing too. Everybody's like really focused on like, uh, you know, I gotta have a bunch of money. This is what leads to investors. And this is why I, I caution this. And especially people also who isn't thinking about investing in companies, which is something I've done many times. And I, I've definitely ended up in the better for it more than, than, than not. But that's because I've learned real fast and I learned luckily um, how to identify what I'm looking at. Um, I will tell you right now, crook, cro crooked partners, not as bad as just really dumb ones. <laughs> dumb, dumb people who are just don't think anything through will cause you more aggravation, headache, and money in your life than anyone than crooks. And some people are probably going to disagree, but let me explain why my theory on that is it is because of my my history with what I've done. Um, crooks tend to steal just enough from you, but idiots will run you right into the poorhouse. There's like, there's, um, there's exceptions to both those. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I understand some crooks just rob you blind, but in my experience, the crooks will steal just the right amount, but the idiots will literally just cut you down to your, to your, to your knees without even thinking of it. Cause they don't even know what they're doing. And, um, 
And uh, and a lot of people think stealing is always like an intentional thing. Sometimes they're stealing unintentionally. Like I said, they could do they could make bad decisions that's stealing from you. So these are the things I tell you. And, and notice how I'm saying this. Like you're just talking about starting a side little repair business. These are things you need to consider. You know, be legitimate in the beginning of it. Invest in yourself. Invest into the idea that you have. And and also take a good assessment of yourself and why, if you don't want to do those things, why you don't want to do it. In other words, I don't want to. I don't want to put money into this. I think a lot of people would like to half-ass start a business, and it will be a half-ass business. And this is the this is the thing that they don't tell you. No one tells you this about business. This is the there was one business thing I could share with the world, you know, of people who anybody's interested in learning and starting a business, is that there is this weird belief that I cannot figure out where it came from, other than, you know, I don't know where it came from, that somehow businesses are successful or they fail. And that is not true. If you look at most businesses, small businesses, okay, and I'm st- mostly I'm still I'm, I'm focused on my industry, but I, I have, you know, obviously out stuff outside this industry too, but in this industry, success and failure are not the only choices. In fact, they're usually not the choice that happens. The choice that happens is mediocrity. That's what it is. Like your business doesn't succeed and it doesn't fail. So like if at least if it failed, you're like, oh, you're wiped out financially and you start over again and you start a new life. That's great. But most businesses, they don't, they don't fail and they don't succeed. They just sit there and you sit in a hamster wheel of like just making it and it's perpetuating this and just, just constant going and going to where every day's basically you're stuck. You, you can't, you can't can't quit because it doesn't crash and you're not succeeding. And so like I said, those those things are the things like if I could go back and tell myself, like at the beginning of it, anytime I started being entrepreneurial, like I wish somebody would have said that to me. Like everybody was like, you know, everybody's everybody has advice for some reason, the same advice. They go, you know, most businesses fail. And that number changes, by the way, by who gives the advice. Most businesses fails in the first two years. Most businesses fail in the first, you know, two months. Most businesses fail in the first five years, whatever. You know, your business doesn't have to see a profit to this. Your business doesn't have, you know, all these things that people say. I found has been no help to me at all. <laughs> the thing, the piece of advice I wish somebody would tell me was, is that when you start from zero... <laughs> <laughs> and you make your first dollar, that's 100% more, right? So growth is exciting at the first of a bu- first time you do any business. Like every month is exciting. The first year is exciting because you're like, wow, look at all we've done. Look at all these customers. I went from no customers to 100. The problem they don't tell you is that like I said, they th- everybody's advice is like, oh, well, then you'll get 200, then 300, then 3,000, and 10,000, and you'll keep growing. You'll be huge and successful and everything. Great. Or you won't get any customers and you'll crash. And like I said, what what happens a lot to businesses is they get they do better and better and better. And they get to a point where like they're not really making it. Like they're, they're just barely paying the bills. And maybe if they get a little help from the family every year, if they get, get a little bit better credit card limit, just a little bit more. And then next year, it's going to be that too. And next year, it's going to be that too. In fact, what it is, is you get to a, that slow boil and then you just stay there. And, uh, and I see it all the time. In fact, when I've worked with companies that where I could give insight, that's their problem. It's very rarely like, hey, my business is going to close in three weeks. Do you have any help you can give me? Or, hey, we're making so much money, we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> it's always the same, like, I'm stuck. And what do you do? So what I will tell you is this. 
if you're going to start a, even a side hustle, uh, start it the right way. Like I said, make the commitments, the financial ones, the time commitments, the emotional commitments, decide all that stuff, what you're going to do, and then commit to that and then do it. And that's what I would suggest. And uh, and then on that last note, I'm going to last say the, the thing that drives me crazy because it just, like I said, I have another company that I just started with some other partners and they're very very good partners. I'm very happy with them. And one of the things we talked about was I said, um, that one of them said it casually, you know, you got to spend money, make money. And I said, I absolutely hate that term. I have, I have literally now, uh, you know, my, my first business I ever did was exactly that. I spend money, spend money to make money. You got to spend it. The next two businesses I did that were way more successful. I spent no money. <laughs> I didn't have to spend anything. Uh, there was no adage that did not help. In fact, you know what we did? We made money. We made money to make money. That's what I learned real fast. Um, and it's not always the case, but this whole idea that if you spend money, it'll come back. That is not what happens in most cases. You spend it and it never comes back and you spin yourself into, like I said, out of control. So those are my suggestions to you, especially, like I said, especially uh, giving you uh, advice on any kind of repair business. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and then also, like I said, all the other tax type questions, I would definitely talk to an accountant. Right there, somebody who's qualified to do that. I would also like to point out that I don't do any of that stuff. I have somebody who does everything. I've had the same accountant now for 15 years. And my wife is also the person who does all the accounting. So between them two, that's how I don't want to know anything about it half the time. <laughs> so, and you got me on a good week because I just had to do some weird accounting stuff and I was looking at reports and stuff and it was driving me crazy because I don't understand it. And I had to read it like 10 times before I think I got what, what it is that we were focusing on. So, uh, yeah, Landon says, make money to spend money. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and then there's a lot of people talking about restaurants. I'd like to point out, I've never been in the restaurant business, so I have no idea what to say <laughs> about restaurants. I have a lot of friends, though, that own restaurants. And um, I, I don't know, maybe we need to do a business, uh, not a business like, you know, but maybe I can have my business friends come on. We do a podcast bonus one with just some people in the industries, different industries, especially this one too. So, um, <laughs> okay, let's, let's get into some other type questions. We have, uh, we have Alex who says, Hey, why are bins and bar cords easier on my 2021 Gibson Les Paul 1960s neck? He's saying Les Paul 60s neck. Standard. So Les Paul 60 standard. Then my 2020 Epiphone Les Paul. Well, because the more you spend, the better it is easier it is to play. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so basically the core of the question is he's got an Epiphone Les Paul custom. Uh, both have Daddario XS1046, which isn't, I don't think is the most relevant thing in this. Uh, the action is the same. Um, the Gibson is also louder acoustically. Okay, so the, the 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 point of this question is like you have two guitars that you feel are pretty like in you know obviously scale length both twenty four and three quarters. They're one's an Epiphone, one's a Gibson. They have the same gauge strings, the same brand of strings, and the action is relatively close in how they're set up. And one is easier to play than uh, the other. Um, there is a couple things that can be. Uh, to me, those all those things you mentioned are factors, but not the biggest factors on what would make two guitars feel different when bending and barring chords, which to me is a 
is the tension, how the tension feels. And to me, the things that would affect that is, um, believe it or not, how the nut is cut. I know a lot of you are going to go, I knew he was going to say that because, you know, we talk about that a lot. But you understand there is a benefit. (laughs) This is where the internet will explode. Um, I did a video of like five things you don't know about the Gibbs Les Paul. There is, what I needed, what you would need to know is they are set the same action, but the, uh, the stop tail piece, how low or high is it? Is that different? That actually changes the way the bend feels. This is a conversation that I ha- hate, not to say hate to have, but it's hard to have on a verbal podcast like this where I don't have, you know, illustration editing and I can't show you pictures and stuff. Um, this is like some, some, some people talk about this, like, well, how can, you know, when we talk about the string goes over the, of the bridge. And then of course to the tail piece, you know, the tail piece being up and down and of course wrapped over the top, like as some players do, like, uh, the guitar players from the Allman brothers. And of course, uh, Zach Wilde does that. How could that have an effect? Because the tension is the same to get the same pitch, but the tension is the same. But remember when you bend, then you're bending it and the tension is variable. So there's things that are happening in the, in the way that it bends. And that's what he's talking about is the feel of it. And so my experience is that the action can be the same, but the nut slots are not, maybe not cut the same. So you want to make sure that's the same, just because that, again, just having the same action off, like let's say the 12 fret doesn't guarantee anything. And then also, like I said, where that stop part piece could be a factor. And if you're, let's say in theory, you were say, well, they are in the same spot. They're the same spot. Those are the same. Then also, believe it or not, that 17 degree angle on the Gibson and the 13 or 13, 17 degree angle. I think in this 13, I'm doing off memory, 13 degree angle on the Epiphone. A lot of people like to talk about how crappy, you know, go the break, the, the, the Gibson's break because it's 17 degree angle. But increasing again, the, those angles on the top bar and the headstock and how the string pulls over does change how, how that feels. Um, again, we're talking about small things because this is where people tend to freak out when you talk about this stuff. They're like, you're, you're, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, that doesn't, that can't factor in. And here's why everything factors in, especially when we're talking about what you perceivably feel. (laughs) Cause remember, we're talking about something that's very sensitive. He's talking about how he bends. He's feeling a slight difference. You, You understand most people probably couldn't tell the difference at all. Um, it's like, it's like somebody giving you a five pound dumbbell and somebody giving you a five pound one ounce dumbbell and you saying they're different. Guitar players are that sensitive. They can be. I, I, I like I said, if you, as, as someone who's had to like work on other people's guitars all the time, that's one experience I can give you different than just being a really good player. I'm not a really good player, but I'm saying there's channels out there like, oh, there are really good players and they can tell you how, what they like and how they feel. I tend to talking about what people tend to ask me and what people require of me to get things done. And you have to learn to, to, to navigate this. This is a problem that somebody would bring to me two guitars and they go, they don't feel the same. I want them to feel the same. (laughs) And so you spend hours specifically trying to do that. And what I find is I can never get them to feel the same, but I can get them pretty close. And those are things that I would be, I would be looking at and adjusting, um, to do is that, is, is, is that is the focus. So to answer that question more specifically, even, uh, the things I would be addressing with your Epiphone is making sure the nut slots are cut correctly for that guitar. Not exactly like the Gibson. That's not what I'm saying, but to cut correctly. Also making sure the stop tail piece is adjusted, not exactly like the Gibson, but also adjusted correctly to get to, to the right feel. And then, um, and that's the biggies right there. 
Okay. But there's another reason why I always say you don't pick the strings your guitar does. And this is a perfect example of maybe you shouldn't be using the same strings on both of the guitars because that's really the Occam's razor here. That's really the easiest thing we can fix. You could probably go with a different, not on the gauge, you could probably put nines on the, on the, um, or hybrid, right? There's hybrid sets, right? Uh, that you can put on the Epiphone or you can go with different materials in those strings. Maybe go with something that's got a less a less steel content, higher nickel content in the strings that are softer, and you could literally find them. The other is uh, Karen saying fret condition. Another thing that could be hindering that is exactly that, how polished the frets are. Those wouldn't affect the bar chords. That's why I was really more focused on the dual problems of both bending and bar chords. The bends, obviously, having grittier frets, will have more friction and therefore make it a little harder, but you tend to feel that in the neck. You know, you, you kind of feel, you don't feel this tension, you feel this as resistance from, from the fret, but, but yes, polishing the frets could be uh, doing that way. Funny that you have this problem. I feel like most of the time I've had somebody bring this exact problem to me, it was the opposite. They were kind of very frustrated that the Gibson was not playing as soft or as nice as their Epiphone. So it's weird that you have this this way. I've I found it not every time, but I would say, you know, if I was going to pull the number seven out of 10 times, seven out of 10 times, I would say the, somebody's saying, why is my Epiphone play nicer? Because that's really what really what gets them all going, right? They go, they go, I paid two grand for one. I paid 600 for the other. Why does my $600 guitar play better? And, um, and that's what it usually is. It usually is. We need to polish the frets. We need to cut the nut slots correctly. We need to polish out the fret slots. We need to adjust the tailpiece. We need to also sometimes polish the, uh, bridge saddles. I mean, you're just, you know, kind of adjusting a lot of things to, to make it smoother. It sounds like you, you're doing that or you're just a little focused on the right things, but that do also make sure that they, uh, that they both have, when I say like tuners, I don't mean the same, um, ratio tuners. Make sure if one has locking tuners and one has wrapped that have, that is a factor it does change it um and and um i've had this happen with with a customer before where they had locked keys when i say had a customer i don't mean one i mean I, you know i wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't something i experienced a couple times over um i've had this where customers will have a locking key where they run it right through and they do no wraps or half wrap you know and so it's a half a turn wrap on the locking key and that feels stiffer to them than this than the guitars with multiple wraps like three wraps and the fix believe it or not was exactly that we just wrapped their locking key we still locked it we just wrapped it two or three times and the gave the guitar and the restring was the fix so you know like i said it, the best part about this which is what i i love about this weekly thing is is to know that you're not experiencing something odd or different. <laughs> what you're experiencing is, is so you're, because I think a lot of, a lot of us are like, you know, sometimes you can't tell if you're crazy. <laughs> you know, like I said, the placebo effect. Am I feeling this? Is this something normal? And by telling you, sharing the stories about other people, I'm not saying that you're not, not experiencing. I'm just saying that other people have had that experience. So it's not, you're not by yourself. So those are some suggestions I have for you. David, Oh, somebody asked me what I was drinking. I'm drinking water. No vodka this week. Could you imagine if I drank that much vodka? I'd be in a coma in the first hour. Uh, let's see. David says, hey, Phil, do warm-off necks need the frets prepping in your experience or good to go? Okay, so I understand what you mean, like leveled and cr crown leveled. I hate that we say it backwards, right? Crown and leveled when you level it and then you crown it. <laughs> but crown level 
but it's level and crown. It's one of those things. Uh, anyways, uh, he says, love the show. Thanks. Uh, so here's the funny thing about this. I used to, uh, it's just as funny that this came up. Um, when I started doing repair, everybody who bought a warm-up neck would bring it into the shop for, you know, a crown and level, okay, or a level and crown. And um, at every time, they would say, I mean, oh, consistently, like 100% of the time, they're like, oh, you know, if you get a, a, a warm-up neck, you need to have a crown and level. And every tech said that. And I found more times than not, when I would get warm-up necks, I would put it on the guitar body, or they already assembled it, doesn't matter. And um, he was fine. <laughs> I would be like working on it going, uh, you know, we, look, you know, when you're working on a guitar, all of a sudden you're 15 minutes in, 10 minutes in and you're done. They're like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's the, you know, cause here's why when there, everybody's gonna be different for me. It was always like, you know, 10 minutes, there's a guilt like, Oh God, I don't know if I could charge anybody for this. You know what I mean? 15 minutes, you're like, well, it's kind of close to the thing. Maybe I'll give them a discount or maybe I'll just charge them a separate fee. Sometimes you're like, okay, this isn't a setup. This is more of a restring thing, right? Because you're just trying to equate your time to it. But, and then of course, you know, because you're always trying to factor in how much of this is your experience. So like, you know, they have to pay for that too. So just because you're fast doesn't mean it should be cheap um, because it's, you know, it's the, it's the years of time it took to get that fast. However, that all being said, um, I would say that if I got 10 Warmoth necks, now I haven't received any Warmoth Warmoth necks post-COVID. So again, sometimes the the information I have might be dated from that. But as as I would say, pretty confident as I'd say I've done uh, 40 Warmoth necks seems pretty pretty consistent for everything from baritone necks. I did a lot of baritone necks. There was a big trend for a long time with people buying Warmoth baritone necks, telly necks, putting them on tellies and then bass necks and guitar necks. And I would say I felt like, again, I'll go with seven out of 10. I feel like that was a good number. Seven out of 10 time. I didn't need to do much. I didn't need to do a whole crown level. I didn't need to do much. Um, that warmoth had done a really good job and usually like you don't want to do it until you know you're paired with a body and all that stuff but warmoth you can understand the process to get these guitars dialed in is pretty good and and so it was fine like i said everything was usually a minor adjustment at that point so to answer your question is is possible i will i'm going to stick with my number i'm going to say there's a 70 percent chance you won't have to have additional fret work done to your neck that you get from warmoth I feel pretty confident with that. But of course, like I said, the caveat would be, you know, now or since, you know, post COVID, is it worse? But I can imagine they got worse as a company. They seem to improve in my experience with them. So, um, it really sucks that we didn't get to do that Warmoth video. Remember there was going to be a video at COVID and then COVID happened where Warmoth, Warmoth was going to send me the parts to make two identical guitars, one for me and one for one viewer as a giveaway. And then COVID happened and it never happened. And um, I would still do that video, but I wouldn't keep a guitar. I would do that guitar now just to do a giveaway guitar. Um, I, like I said, I, 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 you know, as, as, as you all know, things have changed dramatically over the last couple of years. And now it's like, I don't keep any guitars unless the guitar goes. So I, I don't know what I want to get rid of now at this point for the, for the Warmoth guitar. So I would do a giveaway guitar. Maybe I'll reach out to Warmoth and see if they're interested I would like to do it. And then I can do the build and stuff like a sharp, my accent thing and do a giveaway. I really think that'd be a fun video to do. Um, you know, there you go. Uh, a 10 at 10, by the way, at 10, this is kind of funny. I looked up your name, and how to say it. <laughs> and I got two different answers. One was at teen and one was at 10. 
So uh, I apologize. I'm going to say it's Aten, uh, but I thought it was funny. I clicked it and it and it gave me the answer, you know, because it says it phon- phonetically. And then I, for the life of me, I don't know why I did this, but I clicked another one and it said the exact opposite. So uh, he says, hey, Phil, how do you find what feels right to you versus finding a guitar that feels like what you, you're accustomed to? Uh, sure. So I understand where the core of this question is, is like familiar territory versus what really feels right. I get, that's the way I'm perceiving the question. If I have it wrong, I apologize. Um, so in other words, like, you know, when you get a guitar, how do you, you know, how do you know uh, what's really right for you? You know, what's funny about this is uh, this question is, um, I think in my experience with my guitars and necks is the necks that I feel... Um, that I feel the most, like I feel like they, they feel the fastest and nicest I find, uh, are not what I need. <laughs> okay. Um, I need, uh, like if I pick up an Ibanez neck that's super thin, I like to just play shreddy weird stuff on it. And then I find I go, that's not me. I don't really do that stuff, but I can't help but doing it because the neck. And then I get a rounded C kind of strat neck and all of a sudden I calm down and I feel like the stuff that's coming out of my mind and my hands is more musical and more in line with what I like to do and what I like to hear and play. So um, I don't think this is really your core, the core of your question, but I like it. I, I like going this route because that's how I perceive it, which is um, I think... One of the things I try to do, like I said, I really care about how the neck feels, but I also like to play the guitar, get a sense of it, and also listen to what's coming out of me as the musician, because this is my tool, and I want I want what comes out to be the thing I, I enjoy the most. And so I think uh, you should never you should never rely on too much of being accustomed to something. I think when you see a lot of musicians that write a lot of songs and hit songs and play in bands, they want things to be consistent because they're replicating this song for everybody. But a lot of us are creating, you know, right? We, I create more than I produce. <laughs> right? I, I write a lot of songs and they're, they're not for anybody <laughs> just because I like doing it, right? It's like, it's, you know, like painting. You know, I'm just painting, you know, you know, just doing things to create. So I like to create a lot of music. And because I like to create a lot of stuff, um, I don't want something that's too, uh, you know, that I'm accustomed to, too, 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 like pedestrian, too boring. You know what I mean? Because it's just, oh, it's so easy to, to, to do it this way. So I like a little bit of that. I, I think that that's where I want to go with that. Um, and then he's got another question, and his was, uh, Atten says, hey, how do I feel, how do you feel, he means me, how do you feel about using artist models in a band setting? Uh, is it any different than using a, a Les Paul or a, J- a JCM Marshall um, that everyone had? Why does it feel wrong? <laughs> um, you know what it is? It's I, I totally, totally, totally agree with you. Um, there is something about that. Um, I love signature guitars, but I almost have them as like an homage to the artist more though than something I really want to play myself. Uh, I don't. You don't re- rarely would see me playing the signature guitars on a video, you know, I noticed like for me, a video is a performance piece, right? I'm, I'm making content and this is the, the products I use are the guitars and pedals and amps. If I'm remember, I'm always demoing a lot of stuff, but the demo is maybe the pedal. So the guitar is a personal choice. The amp is a personal choice to what I think works with that. And also, you know, what I like and notice, I don't use a whole lot of artist guitars in those videos, but I do have them because they're obviously behind me and there's obviously the Petrucci behind me and there's a Nuno Bittencourt behind me right there, um, just to, to name a couple there. And, um, I, I don't know what that is. I think that's an, I think 
the reason why it feels wrong to you is the same reason it feels wrong to me. You know, I'm almost jealous uh, when I see like John Mayer playing a, an Eddie Van Halen guitar. I see Joe Bonamassa playing. I saw, there's a video of Joe Bonamassa and he's playing a John Petrucci guitar in the studio. And I always think like, that's really cool <laughs> that these artists are playing another artist's guitar. I think that's really, really cool. And also, I think it also means they're comfortable in their own skin. Like they, they are like, they're playing somebody else's guitar to like kind of give a, like a nod to that other artist where... I don't think at my level, and I'm speaking for myself and not for you, but I think maybe we have kindred spirit here. I feel like sometimes when I'm playing um, <laughs> an artist guitar, it's not me nodding to the artist. It's like I feel like I'm a wannabe of that artist, and maybe because it's obviously I'm not a pro-level player like that. So maybe that's what it is, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I wish it was just as easy as just play what you like, and that's really should be the answer. I mean, if you like an artist guitar, play it. That's basically how I look at it. So play it. Um, play what you like. Uh, Antique Rocker says, the white noise from his Fender t a Tone Master Twin when connecting. Remember, he had a problem with this, I think, with boss pedals before, right? He says, connecting either my uh, in magnetics or his acoustic guitars to it in, and the, my PA, uh, plugging in the PA, via Boss 8010, LR bags, or direct, there's a lot of information here, is back looking for a fix, Empress buffer. Do I think it's a buffer? I don't think it's a buffer problem. It might be, you know, I think Lawrence is in the, uh, in the. I thought I saw Lawrence for a second. He might know if it's a buffer thing. I would think the opposite, and again, just more of a general guess that the buffer, like more signal would be worse <laughs> more you know right i think i told you this before like with the mesa boogies uh you know and and the boss pedals and buffered sometimes they just get really white you know a lot of hiss and white noise in the background and i kind of kind of expect the same issue um with this where it's you know uh, that would make it actually worse but I don't know. That's the problem with the Tone Master series again. We talk about this all the time. It's an unproven product, so we don't know what the hell it's doing. It's a it's a digital, <laughs> you know. And 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 I don't know. And this is this is again. It's not a it's not a tirade about the product. But the the problem with digital stuff like this is you know Fender's toting this is like it's not complicated and it's easy to go and it's a digital model. But remember the. But the best thing about some of the digital modeling from XFX and, and Line 6 and, and you, know, uh, you know, all the other brands is they have noise gates. They have things in there. There's, they, they know what the problems are and they build in, you know, other things to, to, to deal with those issues. So I don't know, you know, it could be your, it could be just this amp. That's what sucks. And I don't mean like you have a defective amp. It could be just a design flaw in the amp. We don't even know. You know, companies make amps and, you know, they're going to work it out. So we don't know. That's that's the downfall. That's the, the, the benefit of Fender doing something new like this is it's nice to see companies doing something new and experimenting and trying new things. The downfall is one of the benefits of Fender, the brand Fender, is proven product, right? Years and years of making a product that has existed for years and not worrying about it. This is This is the same problem we're going to have with a lot of other products, you know, around the world, as we change from, like, like I said, we're talking about tube amps, something we've used forever to all this new digital format. It becomes, there's new problems that we haven't discovered. So I don't know. That's the sad thing. I wish I had some advice, but it's, it's such a new product. I don't know what the issue could be. And, um, I just have guesses. 
So there you go. But uh, you know what I would also suggest, and I think I've talked about this before, Antique Rocker. You know, if you call Fender Customer Service, Fender Customer Service, which is here in Arizona, they um, sometimes, the way their system works is they have notes. So they have tech notes. So if you call Fender Customer Service with this issue and tell them if they've had other problems and they fixed them, they'll have the fixes for you. So don't forget that. It's I know sometimes we're apprehensive to call customer service because you're like, oh, you're going to get somebody and they're not going to know anything. Nope. These guys are right here in Arizona. They have a call center and they're pretty savvy. And they have, even if they don't know the problem, the, the, you know, they can't solve the problem, they have access to information um, that Fender stores with with the problem. So in other words, fixes for the problems. This happens a lot of times with warranty work. They share stuff just like a car, just like car manufacturers do, right? You go, you take your car, you could take it to a mechanic and, and, and they can sit there and tr troubleshoot all day and they can't find the problem, but you could take a car sometimes to, uh, especially a new car to the dealer and the dealer, uh, the manufacturers told the dealers, Hey, if this comes in with this problem, this is how we found the fix. Fender does the exact same thing sometimes with stuff like this. They'll have the exact, they'll know the fix, the workaround, or at least the cause maybe in their notes already because they, uh, plus you'll be helping them and other customers by making Fender aware of this issue. Um, because you know, uh, they're not watching this channel. <laughs> all right. I don't know why I'm laughing about that. It just made me laugh saying it out loud. Okay. We all are, we all float here says, Hey, Phil, six string passive pickup suggestions for a Schecter Banshee elite FRS. For metalcore, deathcore, have a Nazgul in, in it, and it's too low-end heavy. Sure, uh, yeah, of course. So obviously you want something high-gain, uh, high uh, you know, something that's kicking kicking your teeth, so to speak, uh, uh, pickup-wise, but something that's brighter. Sure, that absolutely, Super Distortion and uh, X2N by DiMaggio will be way brighter than that on the Seymour Duncan platform. Um, uh, the, what's it called? The Something Distortion. Why can't I think of what it is? Now I got to look. I got to look. I don't know why I'm having trouble with this. Um, I like the Nazgul, but I understand you're saying it's it's a little it's a little beefy on the. Do they have hi? There it is. Okay. Um. And keep in mind, what's nice about companies like uh, Seymour Duncan, DiMarzio, and Bare Knuckles and stuff is, is they have charts on their pickups on their website. Let's share with you guys so you can see what I'm saying. And um, here we go. Look at that. And one of the things that's nice is you should be able to kind of like the Duncan distortion. This is it right here. The Duncan distortion will be on the brighter end. This has a lot more mids and highs, in my opinion, than your pickup that you're talking about, than the Nazgul. And I bet you if we look right here, we look at the Nazgul somewhere, there's an EQ chart on this. Okay. And so we're going to say the bridge. See, look, they're showing the bass responses being pretty low on this. But, and again, I apologize. I'm trying to find the Duncan distortion. Yeah, it looks like it's almost spec the same, but this is pretty generic. Here, just so you see what I was looking at. This looks pretty generic, what they're showing here, but I would bet that this is a brighter pickup. So that's what I would suggest is something like that. 
Um, but better than my suggestions is really um, go to those websites and then, like I said, do comparatives, especially if you want to stick with the same brand. That's what's nice about if you have a DiMarzio already or a Seymour Duncan or Bare Knuckle. If you already have that brand's pickup, go in and look at their other pickups to see uh, what it is. Now, this is something that's important to discuss because um, I don't know if the guitar you bought came with that pickup um, or you bought it aftermarket, but keep in mind that both... I don't know about Bare Knuckles, okay, so I just don't know, but... Uh, Duncan and DiMarzio um, uh, both have a program where you can contact them if you bought a pickup from them and talk to somebody um, on the phone with exactly what you're saying, and they will help you from what you're saying with what you don't like about the current pickup you have and help you exchange it to the right pickup you have, which is really nice. It kind of helps do that stuff. And especially in this case, because like I said, in your case, uh, I I I would suggest the Duncan Distortion as something that's going to kick, but it's going to be a lot brighter. It's going to be way brighter, in my opinion, than what you have now. Uh, Mark Hall says, hey, Phil, Taylor Cox interview was awesome. Thank you. More, please. Uh, yes, I'm working on that right now. I have uh, uh, Ola Strandberg is coming on the podcast. This is on the Phil McKnight channel, Dose, the Dose channel, the, the second channel, um, which is where the interview stuff will go and other stuff. Because, again, that way it's free. If you notice on that channel now, look how much longer the videos are. Because, again, just like, hey, let's just you know put out the stuff. And that's what's kind of like I said. It's more of a mental thing for me than anything else. It was just like I don't want to think about like, you know, making a video that people will click on. I just want to make a video that's fun. And uh, I just want to do it on that channel where I think this, the main channel is again, more focused to exactly what the audience likes, the, the actual subscriber base where the second channel doesn't have any subscribers. So (laughs) it's just whatever, whatever I want to do. No one's watching kind of, so to speak. Um, So there's kind of a, it's a very liberating feeling. Like, you know, I, I, uh, to, to not have to worry about like in the first 10 minutes, 3000 people already seen it and they already have an opinion about what I did right or wrong. Um, the uh so that's where that's going on so like i said ola's gonna be on there uh john from bad cat will be on there um and a couple others i have a bunch of others lined up and stuff and and uh and uh, yeah and then it's not just by the way that channel is not just for interviews it's all kinds of stuff so there's some other cool videos about to pop um and they're coming out pretty regularly uh maybe even more so than the main channel <laughs> Because less editing, by the way, that's what I also do on that second channel is I don't worry about the editing. That's actually probably the best thing, the way to put it. That's really what it is because the editing takes all the damn time. And sometimes it, you, everybody always says casually to me, like, well, don't worry about editing. But when I don't edit as much and I don't fix it as much, uh, man, the views just drop. So obviously it has an effect. So just that's not worry. What's not worry about what it is on the second channel. Um, Penalty said for the internet jar. There's an internet jar. By the way, that's so weird. Naked and Ready said this is for the internet jar too. Is that a thing now? We have the internet jar. Tip jar. Internet jar. Thank you. I appreciate it. Tip your waiter. Uh, Can. Yep. His name's Can. Can says, I love the Optima Gold Strings series. Did you ever try them? Yeah, I love the Optima Gold Strings there. They look really cool. Um, I remember I walked into a music store once and they had them and I bought a set and put them on. It was really good. I really like them. Um, I remember they kind of tarnished, but I remember it took a while. So if you guys don't know what we're talking about, Optima Gold is these gold strings. I, I think they say gold plated, but they obviously, I don't think they could be, could be gold plated. Maybe they are. I don't know. Um, then I never saw them again. <laughs> so I know they still make them. So I don't know, maybe it'd be worth a try. I could, you know, try buy, buy a set and give it a try. I'd be interested in that. I don't know how to make a video about that, but maybe I could put it on Instagram or something. Talk about it. The um, 
that brought up a thing, and this is actually so you guys. I want you. I'll bring you. I'll let you in on the joke. <laughs> There's a joke. I I laughed earlier, and I kind of feel guilty now because I feel like I didn't I didn't cue you guys in what would happen. I said I made a comment about Fender, and I said not like they watch the channel. And the reason I said that is because um, a lot of companies do watch this uh, Friday show, especially because it's time stamped. So a lot of companies will look to see if I said anything, and a lot of you guys like to rat me out like all the time. Good and bad. Like, hey, did you feel what said? And they said, you send the link to them and go, did you see what he said about your company? And uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Here's what's really funny. So a couple weeks ago, I got approached by Floyd Rose. Um, Floyd, It's very confusing, but there's Floyd Rose, but then there's Floyd Rose company that sells all the Floyd Rose bridges and parts. And I, they reached out to me. And what's funny about this is, is that on a show a couple weeks ago, a couple episodes ago, Somebody specifically asked me about the tone blocks on Floyd Rose Bridges, what I thought of them. And I said that I've replaced a lot for customers over the years, and I really don't notice a huge difference. And that's about it, right? I didn't really give any kind of affirmation of like liking them or disliking them. I just explained that I don't really use them, and it's not really a thing. This has happened many times now on on this show, which is really crazy to me that it happens. Um, They saw it. They saw my comments. They reached out very nicely and said, um, would I be interested in testing them? You know, so in other words, if we sent you all the different blocks, the there's different kinds, there's all kinds of brass blocks and all this, would you be interested in making a video about them? And I very kindly said no, right? And here's why I said I wasn't interested in doing that video. I said, you know, the way that you YouTube compression rate works, the way everything works, recording this stuff, it's gonna be very subtle to hear what is different about this brass block versus this brass block versus this pot metal block and versus, you know, this uh, one's called a stone block. I don't know if it's actually made of stone or what it's made of, but it's like steel and stuff. And, um, but since they were interested in, and obviously that's the important part to me because now they're, they're, they're talking to me, they're asking me a question, you know, what I, I said, here's what I would be interested in doing. I never, I, as I said clearly on that episode, I have always done it for customers. I'd never done it for myself. And one of the reasons that I never did it for myself um, is because I've done it for customers and I never really noticed anything. Here's what I'd like to do. I have a guitar. Uh, it's, it's my Nuno Bentoncourt N4. I've had that guitar since 2004, maybe five. It's a long time. I've had this Nuno, this guitar for a long time. I love this guitar. I know this guitar so well. <laughs> like I know it like the back of my hand. I know what it sounds like. I know what it sounds like. I can put different pickups in it and I know what the pickups sound like versus the guitar because it's just something that I just know, okay? I said, here's what I'm interested in doing. I said, I would, uh, if you're interested in sending me all the blocks, which there's like a half a dozen of these things, I will put them in, document my travels, so to speak, Mike's this, this experience. I'll make some recordings But more importantly, here's what I will do as a video. So this is the video that's going to come out. Um, I will do this over a period of two weeks, play them each for, you know, a day or two each, right? Get a sense of them, record them. And then at the end, I will explain the video, which ones I liked in order, whether I thought there was a difference or not. And more importantly, would I specifically keep one of them in the guitar now or keep the original block that came with the, the guitar? And... (laughs) Edward says they got miffed. No, they weren't miffed at all. They were actually like, no, like I said, that's what I love about this. They were like, hey, we'd like to send you some blocks. Would you like to try them? You know, like, in other words, 
they they do what I love. Did, did you, I literally cannot give any more respect to a company when the companies just like throw down the gauntlet and say, we heard what you said. We heard that you don't really care for it that much or you didn't love it. We'd really like you to do a video on it. We'd like to, you know, you spend some time with it and do it and either say our stuff's good or bad. We don't care, right? Like, look, man, they're, they're the ones, like I said, they're the ones taking the chance on this. I got no downside on my end. On their end, I'll change on the blocks. And if I decide that the original block's fine, I'll just go with the original block and that's what the video will be. And if I like the one block that's whatever, uh, then that's the block I like. Um, and if I don't notice much of a difference and if I say, hey, yeah, maybe this one's slightly better, but I would probably have kept the block originally with the time, um, I'm willing to do it. And uh, why I, I'm doing this video is 100% because again, like I said, they threw down the gauntlet. They were like, hey, why don't you trial them all? We'll send them to you and you do it. Before we go any further with anything else, before you guys know, the amount of work this is going to take is stupid. <laughs> Taking these damn bridge apart and putting these blocks. And I was thinking about this as I was talking to them, like, oh, there's no, there's no way this is going to make sense to me to do it other than I'm curious. Maybe you're curious. And I would rather give a more of a testimonial type video of like, hey, this is what I discovered from my personal journey with these things versus me trying to audio capture like, no, this one's a little brighter. This one's a little darker. This one's, you know, right? who cares? Like, here's a here's practical things. This is which would I keep one? Did I find it useful? And uh, the reason I say that is every once in a while this happens, um, and uh, and uh, I love that. Um, I love it when they did. By the way, I I can tell now because the video's uh, it's about a week out. Um, uh, Ola Strandberg from Strandberg Guitars, they saw one of my deep dive videos. They liked it and they sent me a funny email I love. Uh, Ola Strandberg himself sent it. He said, uh, hey, um, that's how come he's going to be on the podcast. I asked him afterwards, would you be on my podcast? He said, hey, would you be willing to put my guitar through that? <laughs> do sock test and do all that stuff to my, one of my guitars. And um, I'm like, of course, sure. And like I told you guys, you guys talk about this all the time. Well, if he knows that I'm going to do it, isn't he going to make the guitar great? Yeah, but like I said, if he makes a guitar, great. Why don't we all just keep him accountable to that if that's what he wants to do, right? So whatever he's going to send me, uh, it needs to be, you know, it, it it's whatever the, whatever he sends me, he should be sending the same thing. Otherwise, like I said, call him on it. So my my point again is uh, I, I find that impressive as as companies say, hey, look, we, we want, you know, just, Hey, we just want to send this thing and you got, you go do your thing. And I love that, man. I have, I can't, I don't know how to defend against that. In other words, I don't know how to say no. Um, especially when a lot of other companies rather just send me an email, just telling me off because <laughs> they didn't like, they don't like it. They don't like what I did, how I did something, whatever that, whatever that means. So that's why I laughed. Um, uh, <laughs> Red Eye Bloom says he did a super chat for the rate hike when they when they when when they upgrade your bandwidth. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be funny. That'll be interesting. Thank you, I appreciate it. Michael says getting ready to see Robin Ford for the first time today in San Francisco. I assume SF is San Francisco. Hopefully, I will see and hear his dumble. I heard his dumbles on tour with him right now, and he is using the dumble. Robin Ford's the reason why I own a Zen Drive. Uh, you know, he did an interview. He I didn't even hear the pedal. I, he just did an interview. Said he said all I heard was whenever I don't have the dumble with me, I use the Zen Drive, and I was like sold, and I bought a Zen Drive, and. Um, I love that pedal. I don't even have it anymore. The original. Remember, I t I've told you guys this. I, I, when they started going with crazy money, I sold mine off and bought the uh, love pedal one, and it's fine. 
And I EB'd them before I sold the other one off. And I just said, I, was, I don't, I don't care. I'm not, like I said, I'm not really into having uh, pedals that are worth, you know, whatever obnoxious amounts of money. <laughs> I don't use pedals enough to have, you know, a five to thousand dollar pedal for some reason, if I can get the same sound out of something else. Um, and uh, I even did a video of the rumble drive by Moore against the Zen drive. And I thought it was pretty damn close. You can get really close to that. So, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. I love Robin Ford, Robin Ford, man. It's like one of my favorite tones of all time. And if that's the Dumble tone, well, then there you go. Grumpy Mike Guitar says, for the tone jar, why not? Taylor Cox made an excellent case for why Boutique can be worth it. I think he did too. He's talking about that interview with the Amplified Nation. I, I definitely, what I love about this is, like I said, $4,000, $5,000 amplifiers, man, they're, I mean, $2,000 amplifiers, $1,500 amplifiers, all that stuff is really crazy money. But I have, like I said, I have a soft spot. I have a weak spot for people who are passionate about what they do and don't don't apologize for, hey, I'm going to make a great thing. This is what I want for it. If you don't want that, I understand. But they really care. And there's also, like I said, that to me doesn't dismiss the fact that somebody sits in a boardroom and says, hey, we can make this for $2.99 and everybody can get it. I think there's value in that too because God bless them for that. You know, perfect example. It's great that you can buy a more uh, dump or uh, a rumble drive for essentially, you know, 50 bucks. That sounds pretty good. I'm happy that exists. I'm also happy that the Zen drive exists and I'm happy the Dumble exists. And, and my point is what I talked about earlier is none of that other stuff would exist existed if the Dumble didn't start the, the kind of the, you know, everybody wants this. So, you know, it has to start with apparently a hundred thousand dollar amplifier and then somehow we get a $50 pedal. <laughs> That's how it works top down. That's how it works. Thank you, Litvay, for the super uh, sticker. I appreciate that. Declan, what's up, Declan? He says, uh, just home from Garth Brooks show. Oh, it's an amazing show. Uh, before he says anything else, I, I, I just want to remember my Garth Brooks show when I saw it. It was amazing. He, uh, he brought an American, he brought America to Dublin don't you owe your son a trip to Ireland? I do. Of course, we're supposed to go to Ireland in the year 2020. That was the big deal. We put aside the money and did our thing. And it was my it was my son's dream, which didn't happen. Uh, he was turning 21 and his he wanted his first alcoholic drink to be in Ireland. And uh, and it didn't happen, obviously, so because of COVID. And so we're who knows when we're going to go. Uh, maybe next year is the year. I don't know. Um so, and, uh, and he's only had, he's, he had the one drink. Well, he's actually had twice. He had one drink on his 21st birthday and then he had one drink when he had some, uh, my wife convinced him to take a shot of whiskey when he had, um, uh, his, had a, a, a tooth, tooth, teeth work. Right. And, uh, I always remember that because that night he said, he told, he looked at my wife, he was sitting on the couch and, um, he told my wife that the, the whiskey didn't do anything. The shot of whiskey is like, didn't do anything. And then 10 minutes later, he was like, punching his leg i'll never forget this he's punching his leg and and my wife looks at me she goes what are you doing not punch you know just like kind of hitting it like this and i she he goes i don't think i can feel my leg <laughs> so obviously that 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 shot of whiskey was a lot for him um but yes yeah, so i appreciate that second thing is man yeah garth brooks one of the greatest shows i've ever seen in my lifetime and um garth brooks i don't know i can i share with you guys uh some of you guys i'm sure are garth brooks fans some of you guys probably hate country who knows but i, I can tell you the thing that great about seeing garth brooks was uh when i saw Gar garth brooks it was the only time in my life 
where I could imagine what the Beatles must have been like to see in concert. And what I mean by that is we had great tickets to Garth Brooks, fantastic tickets. He was amazing. The sound system was amazing, but you couldn't hear him over the crowd. It was so loud. This giant, giant venue, uh, and, he, and he sold out four nights in a row, right? It was the people, every person sang every lyric. And when they weren't singing the lyrics as a, like a giant, you know, chorus of tens of thousands of people singing his songs on top of him, as soon as he stopped singing, they would just cheer. Like they, you, like you watch those old, you know, those old, um, videos of the Beatles where the girls were just screaming like crazy right? to the point and fainting and stuff. That's what it was like. I'd never seen anything like it to this day. I've never seen anything before that or since then like that. That was literally the closest thing I can, I, I, I could imagine what it was like maybe to see the Beatles or Elvis or any of that stuff. Um, because it was just crazy. And, um, and me, my wife and I are, are big fans, but I had no idea. I had no idea. Um, and um, so there you go. If you have never seen them, just that's what you're going to be in for. It's it's loud. I mean, it's loud. I've never seen an audience drowned out <laughs> the PA system. It was just crazy. And it was, like I said, the PA was loud. It's just, you can't, con- you know, I, I don't remember how many people, I think it was, because th- it's four nights, I think it was 26,000 or 30,000. It was a huge arena. I mean, that's a big arena, but I think it was like 25,000, 30,000 people. But when 30,000 people apparently scream at the, t- or sing at the top of their lungs, just there's nothing the PA can do. You're just hearing the crowd. <laughs> it was, like I said, it was like a giant, like somebody just, like Garth Brooks brought a 30,000 person chorus line with them. So crazy. Uh, there, I share with that. There's my, my Garth Brooks story. Um, okay. Hold on a second. We're doing good. We're uh, wrapping up. So Derek is the last super chat. I'll try to knock out these super chats and then, uh, see if there's anything else we can handle on the other side. Um, we, John own 11 can't play any of them, uh, says for the internet jar and why not? Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, Andrea, Andres says, Phil, last year I got a beautiful Sam Ash guitar of distinction, Les Paul sixties that weighs eight pounds and 13 ounces. That's a good weight, right? Any, anything under nine pounds is good for a Les Paul, but I just can't bond with it. It's uncomfortable. I want to sell it, but what if I regret it? Uh, I will tell you this. If you have a Gibson Les Paul, and I've said this about studios, but I'll say this about all Les Pauls. Gibson Les Pauls, probably more so than any guitar on the planet earth. If you have a Gibson Les Paul and you sell it, if you ever buy it, it will cost more. <laughs> that, that That's, uh, and you will buy another one. Um, and it's very hard. It's such an iconic guitar that everybody strives. Look, there's, there's, let's say there's a thousand people watching here right now. Some of them have Les Pauls. Some of them want Les Pauls. Um, some of them have the versions of Les Pauls. Very few of them, but there are some, very few of them are going to be people who are like, I had one, been there, done that, and I don't want one again. There is just something about an iconic Les Paul. So I would say don't sell it. See, Blake says don't sell it. Um, I I really believe that if uh, the term I like is called a placeholder, right? Sometimes I refer to a guitar as a placeholder. It's something I've I've said to friends. I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast. Um, it's something I say. It's very 
um, you know, nonchalant kind of thing I just say. Like, somebody will say, oh, that's a cool guitar. Like, one of my friends, but like, pick up one of my guitars and play it. And I said, yeah, it's a placeholder. They know what I mean by that. What they mean is, I'm not in love with it, but I'm not selling it until I have the replacement. So, in other words, like, they'll, like, let's say they pick up My Les Paul, and I would say, oh, it's a placeholder, like you. Uh, it's, look, on paper, it's the right guitar. It's uh, not a huge weight, it's a beautiful guitar. But it's not speaking to me or it's a little unbalanced or something about that. What I've learned is you have it, okay? If you have another guitar you enjoy playing, especially, again, we're not talking about, you know, I'm assuming we're not talking about your only guitar, okay? So if it is, then that's a different story and we'll have to talk about that separate. But I'm saying if you have a guitar like that, what I would really suggest is, and especially if you bought it online, because one of the things that people say, you know, I can't buy guitars online. That's true. You know, some people can't do that. I have no problem buying guitars online sometimes. (laughs) Almost sounds like I just, made that made that up i have no problem doing it sometimes no i have no problem usually buying guitars online it usually works out for me in the long run um however however um what i will say is one what i've done with certain guitars where i have a guitar and i like it but i don't love it and i know i shouldn't sell it because again if you buy it again right i mean it's you sell that les paul trust me it's got to be you're committed. You're never getting a Les Paul again because at the next Les Paul is going to it's going to cost you more money, and you're just going to get the same thing, and you're probably going to end up with the same guitar because this is the thing you're going to do. You're going to obsess over getting another Les Paul, and you're going to find one for eight pounds and twelve ounces, and it's going to have the same kind of neck, and you're going to get it, and then you get it, you're going to go, I don't even like it as much as the last one, or it's the same as the last one, or maybe it's one percent better. What I would suggest you is, like I said, placeholders. Keep that Les Paul. Maybe play it from time to time. Like I said, right? Enjoy it. You have it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful instrument. And then one day, hopefully you'll pick up a Les Paul. Maybe it's a, maybe it's not a Gibson. Maybe it's a heritage. Maybe it's another brand. Maybe it's in, in Eastwood, uh, or Eastmond. Um, you love it. Then you sell your Les Paul and get that one and then you'll be fine. And it may cost you more at that time, but the transition will make sense. It will make sense. That's my piece of advice for that. Like I said, definitely one of those two things. Either wait until you have the guitar you want and get that exact guitar and then be done, or, or, or commit that you'll never buy a Les Paul again. <laughs> Ellen says, we shouldn't all confess what our secret placeholders are. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Okay. Um, Shane says, uh, I own a Fender, no, I own a Friedman BE100 Deluxe. Am I missing out by not actually owning a real small box amp? No, no, you have the, you have the flagship, man. You, you got it. There's nothing that amp can't do that all, that amp does, in my opinion, does all the Friedmans to the point where like, it's not a, it's the B 100 deluxe is not like the Swiss army knife of like, it does everything kind of okay. <laughs> right. And you really are missing out. No. Um, no, you have it. You are, you are set. He says, do the small box channel sound same or close. They sound all really same. Look, all the Freeman sound pretty, pretty darn close to each other. Um, like the small box, you, you can get the small box out of the, the B deluxe. You can get a dirty Shirley tone out of the, the, the B 100 deluxe. You can get the higher gain that you can't get out of those two amps with the B 100 deluxe. You can get, um, everything within 
close enough. It's close enough. You, it's, it's, that's the amp to have. The problem is that that amp's freaking expensive. I mean, it's expensive. And, um, you know, for me, for me, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I played all the, the Freedmans and, uh, the, the B 100 Deluxe is a big amp and it's a high wattage amp. Although, like I said, you can get bedroom quiet and it's expensive. And I didn't go that route, but I think, you know, if I could have done it all again, again, I, I said this as I, went up the line of Friedman stuff. I could have been happy with the JJ Jr. I could have. I could definitely have been happy with just buying a BE100 Deluxe because it's amazing. I really like the Twin Sister, which is the Dirty Shirley. I really like that amp. It really speaks to me in a lot of ways. Obviously, the small box speaks to me in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, no, the 100 Deluxe, like I, the BE50 Deluxe um, is another amp. Um I think that's $3,700. It's pretty expensive. I think I've talked about this. Like I thought about maybe getting either the modded small box or maybe like that and getting rid of all these amps, you know, the, the other two I'm getting rid of. Uh, I think I told you guys, I was going to get rid of one of my Friedman's. Uh, my buddy Joe came over, went through all of them. And we definitely decided that the, the dirty Shirley mini is the one I'm getting rid of. It's actually not in the room anymore. I am selling it off. Um, I, if anyone's interested in it, I guess you could DM me or whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know what that means. I know what it means, but I don't know if, if I you've DM'd me, I'd even get it. But I am selling that amp off. I'm going to keep the Twin Sister in the small box for now. And then maybe one day I would go with the BE50 Deluxe, but I'm not in a hurry. Like I said, I love the amps and I'm, I have them and I've already paid for them. And there's no situation where if I sell those amps, I'm not going to pay more to get that other amp. So I'm not hurry. But in your case, oh, you have it, man. That's the amp. That's it. Uh, Lorenzo Dude. Lorenzo Dude 1966 says, does it make sense to buy an amp cab simulator pedal for a tube amp? Sure, of course. Are they really meant to for salt amps? No, 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 no. Uh, no, absolutely, man. Literally, literally game-changing. That seems to be the term I use this week. Game-changing using IRs, using impulse responses, uh, you know, uh, with tube amps fantastic i like i said the two note stuff the 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 captor x the cab m pedal the um the aux by universal Auto, those these things to me are absolutely will unlock everything in your tube amps that's what a lot of you are, are missing with your tube amps is you know this t- kind of technology really really opens up so many things to you and um No, it's great. If you have a need for that, which is like said, you want to either record with it directly, which is fantastic, or use it as a headphone product, or like said, use it as a way to get your amp quieter. They they work fantastic. What's great is, I mean, they're used by professionals. And I can tell you, like I said, having them and using them, I, I could never not have them now. They're, they're just that, that useful. Uh, Sean says, installed a Twisted Tele neck pickup in my Fender 60s original Tele. Middle position is now out of phase. How do I fix this? Uh, you just got to pick uh, one of the pickups and switch the wires. I would just say screw it. Just do the, do the Twisted Tele neck. It doesn't really matter. Um, my guess is what the original, the Fender pickup is the, is the you know, the bridge pickup is the original Fender pickup. That's my guess because you didn't say anything, but it wouldn't matter. It's just I'm trying to clarify. Um, just take your, take your, uh, uh, I can't remember the twisted telly neck. If it's a white wire and a black wire, should be a white and a black wire, right? I would imagine. Uh, swap them. So ground your white wire and put your black wire to hot. And and if 
if and if you open it up and it's the opposite of what I said, just swap it. Like I said, whatever it is, just swap the ground and the hot and on the twisted uh, telly. You could do it on the bridge pickup too, but do it on that and it'll fix that fixes the problem. The the thing that I, I try to re- remind you guys constantly when you're talking about pickups is you th- everybody who doesn't you know really know the anatomy of a pickup always sees pickups as having two wires when it's really just one wire, right? It's the start of the wire and it wraps and then it comes off and it's the end of the wire. So it's one wire. So that that's what all we're doing is we're, we're taking the start and the stop point and we're flipping them. And that's what changes that. And that's what, that's all you got to do. So, um, and that's it. That's, that's, that's all you have to do. It's that's, it's that simple and you'll you'll fix your phase problem. And like I said, that's why it doesn't matter which pickup you do it to. You can do it to the bridge or you can do it to the neck. It doesn't matter. But you just pick one of them and swap your two wires. Uh, fender pickups are notorious for when you use other branded pickups like Seymour Duncan's as they Seymour Duncan uses a different color wire for start and stop. So like I said, we use hot and ground but really it's start and stop. It's the beginning and the end of a wire. Like it would be no different than if I took a straight wire and said, this is the beginning of it and this is the end of it. That's a, and then did this. It's no, no difference. So, so there you go. Uh, that's, that solves that problem, which is good. Um, mad lad cat dad. <laughs> Love that name. That's awesome. Uh, which is better? ABR one bridge with posts directly in the in the top wood or Nashville bridge with bushings in the wood. Uh, I don't have a preference. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's really, uh, you know, kind of like I couldn't, I've never done any tests like tone-wise. Uh, feel-wise, I don't really know if I would even notice anything. What I really, not, nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I don't get that kind of picky when it comes to certain bridges, like I said. It's to me, bridges, again, kind of like I told you about guitars being more about neck feel. Bridges, a lot of to me are about the feel on my palm more so than the materials they're made of and stuff. Um, and the way they're affixed to the guitar, I don't really notice. I think it looks cooler when you go with like, you know, the, uh, the ABR1 bridge. I think it just looks nicer with having the bigger, the bigger sets in there and just looks more kind of robust. But no, it all, it's all the same to me. I don't really have an opinion of it, if that helps. Uh, Mike says, hey, Phil, I was on a trip to Alabama and I went to a small guitar shop in Huntsville, played a custom-made guitar by a local builder, Ron Jeffries, bought it. Do you review small custom builder's gear? So I have done small builder's gear. The trick with that is is that uh, there's a couple problems with small builders and reviews on channels when the channel gets to a certain size because of viewerships. Okay. So this is going to sound weird. Um, I'm sure to some of you, um, a channel, not just my, I'm not speaking about my channel, but a channel can make a company. It could put, it can land them on the map. You don't know when a viral video is going to happen. You understand when you're playing with channels, any YouTube channels, I don't care how many subscribers have, you're always playing this game that this could be it, right? You've seen it on shows like the Shark Tank. You see it on shows all the time. It's like the Oprah moment, right? Uh, somebody could uh, make a widget and put it on Instagram and some Instagrammer talks about it and bam, it becomes this huge thing and they're, they make millions of dollars. I, I've told you this for a fact more than once, more than twice, more than 10 times. I have 
talked about a company that literally, um, and one company I like to always reference, one company, they had they had done maybe $100,000, $200,000 in their first five years of business. I did a video and they did a million dollars in sales off that one video. They became, I'll never forget the email, they became a million dollar company off of my video. And the reason I say that is, it's nothing about me. It's just, you never know. You, the thumbnail, the title, the right day, the right month. It's could slow news week, right? You know, you never know what's what's going to happen. It's all a game a little bit of, of chance. And that being said, what I've experienced with small builders, pedal builders, uh, amp builders, guitar builders, they're a funny thing to mess with because... I'll do a video and sometimes like it doesn't land, man. It's like really didn't really do anything. They, you know, because again, maybe it didn't engage correctly. Maybe I didn't have the right, you know, discussion. Maybe I didn't play the right riff. I don't know. Things didn't happen. That's not really common, but it, it happened. But what has happened more than that is I put something on the map or a channel puts something on the map and they can't even handle it. So like... I get, I've, I told you this before. I'm like, you know, they can make 10 guitars in a year and yet they get 50 orders in the first two hours. And that sounds great. Cause, but then when you do the math going, wow, that means the, that half those people aren't getting a guitar for years. <laughs> and now all you have, and then the builder goes, oh, I just have to raise the prices. So to do guitars, to do pedals, uh, more so guitars and even amps, but more so guitars, to have smaller builders on the channel, what now has to happen is we have to have a discussion. Uh, and and we have to have a, a uh, uh, you know, a frank discussion about what can they produce, what what should we prepare for? And you understand this, sometimes this, this lands dead in the water. Like we do this whole video and they sold a few, right? That's not really the case. So, you know, I mean, it's literally, they always tell me it hits. What's nice about having my Patreon members programs is they, all of those videos get released them pre before and like almost like a sample group, right? We get uh, like a focus group. We know because they'll tell me like, okay, you did the video, we got 113 views and I sold three guitars. And we go, oh, and then from that, we can kind of do the math. Like what will the video do when it hits the market? Make sure they're prepared to handle the customer base. Um, it, it's really a great thing, especially to help a small builder, especially if it's quality builder, you know, right? And because that's even more important. But, but it's important because I don't work for them. I work for you guys. And that's why I said, I don't enjoy being told by viewers they don't have them. I can't get one. Thanks for doing a video on a thing I can't get. Or, you know, you see what I'm saying? I'm really, I'm beholden to the viewers more so than the company. So there, I, there has to be discussion with the company. So to answer your question, yes, do I do small builders? I've done them all the time. There's tons of those builders, whether you realize it or not uh, on the channel. Uh, but it has to be, we have to, we have to figure out what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then it has to make sense for everybody. It has to make sense for me, make sense for them and make sense for the viewership. Because again, that's the focus for me is what you guys want, what you guys get. Um, this is also true with inexpensive guitar companies now too. I have to like focus on them because again, what I'm not interested in is making a video where in the video, I tell you guys, oh, it's $300, a good deal. And by the fourth day of the video, they've sold so many that they made the guitar now $500. That's not really good for you either. That's not fair to the audience. That's not what I'm trying to create. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make companies rich. There's no, I don't get anything for that. 
<laughs> I don't get any joy out of that, and I sure don't get any financial benefit from that. So I learn. I really lean into you guys, and so that's that's the answer to that question. Would I just willy nilly start doing it? Um, no, I've done it, and I've seen I've seen the goods and bads of it. Um, yeah, Trick or Treat says I saw Phil's video about Pedal of effects. And I was chasing it for nine months until I finally had them. That's exactly, I, like that, that video because of just, I didn't plan that out. I'd love to say like, aha, I knew this video was going to land, but literally I had no idea in that video. Yeah, it sold them out for almost a year. And so, um, and they weren't, you know, they're great guys and their pedals are fantastic, but you know, they didn't want to see that either. They, they liked the success of it, but what happened with that pedal was exactly what we talked about. They did, they ran out and then people were selling them for a hundred, two hundred dollars more than new on reverb and then you know you, you people are excited and they want them and that's why i always tell you guys on my videos my best advice when i do a video of a product be first so you know if you if you care about a product be first to see the video uh, and this just goes for any main main channels and, I, and again i'm not really talking about the size of channels because it doesn't take a big channel to do this effect to, you know it's the, the the power of the internet be first or be last in other words, you know, if you get it and you get it in the beginning of something and you're excited about it, that's great. But the second they drive the price up, the second the, the unavailability, all that stuff, just remember these videos, although they, they are the gift that keeps on giving, in other words, videos I did three, four years ago are still producing results for companies, not even a fraction of what they do when they first hit, um, just like any channel. So I say that, like, like I said, we'll keep it easy for other channels. Like if you see a YouTube channel and they have a video and it's going viral and that product's exciting, you're all excited because we get excited about stuff and you want to get it, trust me, just wait it out. The Oprah effect ends. It tapers off. It won't usually die, but it doesn't need to die. It just needs to calm down. Don't, don't fall into the trap of paying exorbitant upgraded prices and stuff for stuff. Um, I know you guys know this stuff. I just, again conversation um can what's up he says hey have you ever been a guitar tech on tour no i have teched i have teched for um professional musicians like i've done work on their guitars um i don't know if i would say it's harder than a normal uh i i the hardest person to do tech work for are people who are have more money than they have skills. They become a little tricky. Like the people who can buy a lot of work, right? Like a perfect example, right? Like they can buy better gear than they are. They can buy better quality repair work than they are. It gets a little tricky because you have to be really good at educating, which is why maybe I have a channel now. I used to really focus on this when I was doing person-to-person -person repair work. I would like to spend the time educating them because of the fact that you know, people have things in their heads and they don't, you know, again, we were talking about somebody earlier who says I could feel the difference between two guitars and how they bend, even using the same strings. Somebody can't feel, some person out there can't feel any of that stuff. And yet I make adjustments and now they don't know if it's me that's not doing it right or it's them that can't do it. So you have to learn to educate those players. Um, players who can really play, sometimes they know exactly what they want and yeah, you have to deliver on that, but at least, you know, there's an expectation that you know that when it's right, they know it's right. It gets a little trouble. Um, so reason I say that is, um, I would imagine teching for a rock star is a hard job. I could, I totally uh, understand and empathize with that, but I find that the hardest bosses I've worked for, for, you know, as customers being your boss are the ones that really have no, uh, they have no, 
uh, not experience. That's part of it too. But they, they don't know what they want, but they want you to give it to them. <laughs> that gets a little tricky. So you gotta, you go into more education mode than you go into, uh, doing the actual work. Um, um, but no, I have no interest of ever doing any touring or anything. I don't want to travel. I, like I said, I like I like working the day jobs, uh, days and not nights. Uh, so, yep, yeah, nope, not my thing. Um, uh, Pablo says, hey, Phil, my 1980 Martin D28 is on the verge of a neck reset. Yeah, as the action is way too high. Yep, yeah, it is a very uh, delicate procedure. Is it a very delicate procedure? Not sure if my guitar tech has enough experience for that. Should I be concerned? Um, look, uh, the answer to your question is you've already answered your question. When you say you're not sure, uh, you're, you're already answered your question. You shouldn't have that tech do it. You need confidence in them. Um, regardless of the guitar's value, regardless of, cause remember, it's not always about the dollar value. Remember these, these things are emotional things more so than financial things. You know, you, you know, your, your guitar is, is, is a much of a person, a part of you, of who you are than it is how much it costs. Um, you know, as a guitar tech channel, we talk about costs a lot, but remember that cost is cause it's emotional. Emotions are what drive this. So my suggestion to you is don't have the work done until you feel confident of who you're going to have work on the guitar. And that's it. You need to have a hundred percent confidence because, um, it's going to be, it's going to wear on you emotionally. And that's not where you want to be with this. So I would say, uh, don't go with the tech that you're considering because you're not, you're not feeling confident in that. And then therefore you need to find another tech. Now I can tell because, uh, the, the currency you did the super chat in is a different than U S currency. So you're obviously outside the U S or at least your currency is outside the U S. So again, I don't know what, uh, what available you have, you know, for shipping guitars to, to somebody, but in most cases you can find comp, uh, confident, good techs, uh, luthiers that you can ship guitars to that have value and ship them. And it's done all the time. So don't, don't feel like you, in other words, what I'm trying to say is don't feel like just from proximity, you have to use who's close to you. There is shipping. Uh, in most cases, again, I don't know exactly, you know, everybody's situation around the world, but, uh, you can do it. Um, fret Levo midnight says, Hey, Phil, no, it says whatever happened to latitude guitars video, that video, I, I, I don't know why, I don't know why we didn't put it out yet. It's done. It's been done. I know a lot of editing. You notice a lot of videos just popped all of a sudden at the last minute. It's because I remember I was switching computers. I had to transfer everything over. Um, there's, I, I've told you guys this before. I do all the editing on the videos. The, And I said, I made a comment that somebody else does all the titles now and the thumbnails. Well, that's true. But there's also one thing they do. They decide when the videos go out. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, uh, if you notice we're doing the, the premieres now, almost on all the videos, that's for me. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's kind of, I feel stupid talking like this, uh, but it's true. Uh, premiere is why I'm there with you guys is I'm subscribed to my own channel and I go, Oh, I have a video premiering. And then I get on with you guys and I, that's why I chat up now. And the reason it's premiered is to let me know. Cause, um, uh, a complaint I got <laughs> from the person doing it was they send me a text or an email saying, Hey, is this video time? Okay. Is this, and I didn't respond. Cause you know, I get, I get in my own stuff I'm doing. And, um, so they just go, okay, premiere it. And he'll, I'll, he'll obviously he'll know it was out. So, uh, so that's why I don't know why it didn't get out. 
I don't know. Maybe it'll get out tomorrow. Um, I know, I know what's going on is what they're doing. Uh, the person helping me now, what their job is to help me. Cause that's what they're here to do. They're here to help me. Um, so I don't have to do, like I said, I don't mind doing the editing. That's something I like personally. I think it's part of the artistic expression of what I do. So I want to do that. I want to decide how the video looks and how it feels to me. I like it. I enjoy that. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's something I do, uh, uh something I enjoy doing. Um, what I don't like enjoying is figuring out, you know, like what time of day should a video get released? What's the title it should be released? How should it do well? You know, I don't, I don't even know. Um, I just, I didn't find it enjoyable. So I stopped doing it. And, um, uh, and why, uh, and if I was going to guess, <laughs> if I was going to guess a lot of times what's happening with videos is, is that my, my belief system on this channel is that I want to talk about everything. I want to talk about inexpensive gear, expensive gear, gear from China, gear from the United States. I want to talk about it all. I want to talk about gear. I, I really feel that I work really hard to not only put out good content, but I work really hard. I know this is getting preachy and I don't mean to do that, but I, I just I just feel very passionate about this. I work really hard to not be successful at like making content that, you know, pays a dividend. I work really hard to make something that I'm proud of. Um it's really important to me because this is the stuff like my fear, like my, my judge and jury is my children. I don't want my children. Like, I know they don't watch my videos. I know they don't care, but I don't want them to like, your dad puts out crap. <laughs> like, you know, you, as a, as a father, you want to feel like you put out quality and that way no one can question your integrity and your quality when it comes to like your children. Like your dad makes crappy YouTube videos. I don't really want that to be a thing. That's just in my head when I make a video. You know, am I proud of it? If I'm proud of it, then maybe they'll be proud of it. My point is, um, I want uh I want my content to to be the on the merits of of the quality of the the products I'm talking about are demonstrating. So whether I'm talking about, in other words, whether I'm talking about expensive Stumac tools or I'm talking about the dollar store tools, I do it with the same amount of pa passion, the same, the same amount of, of excitement, but more importantly, the same amount of what it might call realism of like, this is what I think about these things. This is what I like and don't like. Obviously I just did a video about Stumac tools and I put some non-Stumac tools in there. It's a very weird thing to do. If you think about Stumac asked me to do a video about what tools I like from them. And here I am including tools they don't sell. They didn't get upset, but that's because they know me as a, as a person. They know that I, I couldn't let it lie. I couldn't suggest a tool that I didn't really hundred percent back with. So I had to include a tool that wasn't theirs and maybe even two, I think, or three. But that being said, the, to answer your question, sometimes what I try to do is, uh, is, is have them. And that's why I said, uh, Sean, who's doing this for me now, um, stagger the videos. In other words, I don't want to just keep releasing the same, like, here's another inexpensive made in China guitar. Here's another expensive guitar that, you know what I mean? Cause that's what it is. It's, it's, I get it. Some of you guys are like not in the market for a $3,000 made in USA guitar. And some of you are not excited about a $200 made in China guitar. You have all kinds of belief systems of why you don't like those. And I'm not going to not do them. So I'm going to do both. I'm going to do whatever I like doing, which is all of them. But I try not to kind of like bombard you with the same stuff all the time kind of make it exciting. So that way I feel like, you know, everybody gets a, everybody gets a taste, I guess. I feel like, I don't know what the hell I was just saying right now, but I think I got out of, got it out of my head. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. We, I want to thank Matthew for the super chat. We have, uh, uh, I'm going to say, I have no idea. Um, 
Oh, we have Juan. Juan says, for the spare, for the spare high string foundation. Oh, thank you. Uh, new base day, Hofner Ignition Beetle Bass. Been looking for an Epiphone Casino like uh, Lennon's. Found a bass like McCartney's, McCartney's uh, getting there. You know what? That's a, I love that bass. I love that uh, bass. I, uh, I don't know why I don't have a Hofner Beetle Bass, especially now that they have the affordable ones. I, I don't know why. It, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. By the way, I have an update, but we're so late on the show. I have an update on a cool thing, so I'm going to talk about next week about a V guitar. Sorry to push it back, but the show got a little way out of control, a little long. A little. That's my fault. Uh, Zubin says, uh, "New guitar day. Um, he got the Beato signature. Wait, he got a Beato signature and a Lizzie Hill white Gibson Explorer. Oh, I thought they were only coming in red now." But I, I mean, I reviewed the white one. Oh, so it's got to be the, the Epiphone. Is that how it works? The Epiphone is white and the Gibson's red? Or maybe they both. Super excited. Question, best way to hook a 65 Deluxe to a 212 cabinet? Um, just make sure that the 212 cabinet is 16 or 8 ohms. Doesn't matter which one. As long as it's one of those two, you don't want 4 ohms. Not likely you're going to have a 212 that's 4 ohms. But uh, And then just unplug. You can keep the internal speakers, especially if it's a 16-ohm cabinet. Um but I would just unplug, you know, make sure that either it's off or standby mode, unplug the internal speaker on the 65 Deluxe and just run a speaker cable right from the 65 Deluxe to the cabinet. That's the way I would do it. Sound-wise, it's going to sound better if you do that because if you leave the 112 engaged too, you're going to hear more of the 112, most likely because the amp's going to be on top of that amp and it's going to be more towards your face. Plus, the one speaker is just going to really generate a lot of highs and regardless of what's in your 212 cabinet, my experience is you'll hear that 112 over and you won't feel it as, as much. So definitely do that. Congratulations on those two guitars, by the way. Very, very cool. That Beato guitar looked cool. I saw a lot of videos about it. I didn't really have anything to say. <laughs> uh, I saw it. I knew, I, in fact, I was a little confused when it came out. I thought it, I thought it already came out like a year ago. I thought, I thought I saw a video where he announced it and I thought it came out. I thought they sold out. I didn't know that they hadn't made them yet. Uh, Derek, which is going to be the last super chat. So if there's any super chats after this, they'll be the next week says, what do you think of the Seymour Duncan, uh, Zephyr pickups? Um, especially humbuckers and a huge price aside. Can you feel, I hear and hear a difference. How do they compare to other PAF skips and custom, custom buckers? So the Zephyr pickups by Seymour Duncan are silver, silver. <laughs> the, the wire is silver wire. So if you guys don't know, it's a thousand dollar set of humbuckers with silver wire. Um, you know, it's sad. I, I don't know. Cause I've never tried them. I tried to work out a deal. It just didn't work out. So, um, there's a cool article that, uh, Sweetwater did where they, they compared all these pickups and, um, Sweetwater reaches out as they do sometimes. And they, they had, a, they said, Hey, would you be interested in doing a via a, a video reaction to this thing because they know i'm into pickups obviously would i be willing to react to all these pickups and uh, i watched and looked at what they did and i said yes i have a great idea i said why don't you send me a set on loan i said on loan uh of the thousand dollars effort pickups i would love to install them in my somnium guitar and maybe compare them to some other pickups especially since i had like i had every pickup they did in that challenge i already had them <laughs> downstairs in the shop so i go i could i could reference that instead of just reacting to what you did i could also try to recreate what you did and talk about it. And I thought it'd be a cool video and then discuss that. And they just, they were excited, but they couldn't, they didn't have a set. Whatever they got those Zephyr pickups, they borrowed them or whatever. They didn't have them. They didn't have a set to loan me. So we couldn't do the video. And I wasn't interested in doing the video if it wasn't involving that set of pickups. Because again, like you said, I, I, what I've learned about this show is you guys ask me questions sometimes on stuff 
And so anytime I have an opportunity to learn something, it helps me with this show. Cause they're like today, I could have been like, Oh, I tried them a couple of weeks ago for the first time. And here's what I like, you know? So I, unfortunately I couldn't get a ha- hands on them. I almost thought about buying a set of them, which is insane to buy a thousand dollar set of pickups, I guess. <laughs> um, but I couldn't even find a set. So I don't know, maybe if I find a set, I'll buy a set and review them. I have no idea why I would do that. Cause I can imagine nobody is in the market for a set of silver wire pickups. <laughs> I even thought about laughing going like, um, you know, what's sad is I'd like to make a joke like, well, and if in a couple of years I could, you know, melt down the silver, but, um, the wires probably coated and probably a mess. So, I mean, it probably can't be melted down very easily or at all. Um, yeah. So very cool. As always, guys, I want to thank you guys for hanging out uh, today. I, this uh, episode went a, a little long and that's good. I enjoy it at least when it does. And uh, even though it's more timestamps, <laughs> I love the timestamps. Um, and uh, since, hold on, since we only, uh, there's only one super chat I missed. I just I want to grab it. It's Alex. And he says, thank you for all you do for the music. Can I post mega collaboration for Ukraine in the chat. Absolutely. Alex did a, a, a collaboration Ukraine, uh, t- for like a support Ukraine thing. He sent me a video. I, I enjoyed the video very much. Please put it in the, in the comments, uh, Alex, that'd be great. And I'll timestamp it at the end so that uh, I'll link it. If you actually put it in the comments, the link, or if you just email to me, cause you already have an email to me, send me the link and I'll post it in the, uh, in the timestamps. And so you guys can check it out and stuff. So very cool. Very cool that he did that. And like I said, I enjoyed the video very much. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for your time. I will talk to you guys next week. Don't forget there's cool videos coming out. Check out that uh, Stumac uh, deal because it's a good deal if you're thinking about getting tools. And also check out this second channel if you haven't checked it out. And hopefully I'll see you guys next Friday.